That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I had a, uh, an editor one time, fantastic influence on my writing career, who told me, hey, Kanzano, sometimes a game's just a game. You know what I mean by that? Like, in today's media world, you have a lot of talking heads that'll try to tell you every game is life or death. Every game is as big as the Super Bowl. Uh, this this team or this season is uh, worth a damn. That team that season not worth a damn. You know, Blazers season going nowhere. It's meaningless. It becomes really easy. We're all guilty of it, right? It becomes really easy to, to take that vantage point on a season, especially a disappointing season. But I had an editor. He said, you know, sometimes a game's just a game. Just enjoy it for the game that it is. Because if you really think about it, like last night's Blazers game, great example of it. You know, this is not a team that's going to the NBA Finals. But last night, for a uh, uh, in a in a given moment, the Portland Trail Blazers suited up and uh, and looked like you know they were an entertaining basketball team, right? Like this was a an opportunity for the Blazers last night to to play a game in which, uh, you know, people were paying attention, fans were buying tickets, of course they were having fun inside the arena, they put 127 points on the Lakers, they win by double digits, and I'm sure there were some people that were inside the arena last night that had the time of their lives, right? But the rest of us are sitting back going, oh, the Blazers didn't get better at the deadline, need to sell the team to Phil Knight, move on, the season's not worth a damn, like no one should show up, right? Well, uh, you know, I... The, the words were ringing in my ears this morning when I woke up because I looked back at last night's game and I said, you know what? They were worth the price of admission last night. They Mission accomplished. They won the game. They were entertaining. Fans cheered. People left the arena bouncing, filled with enthusiasm. Uh, you know, I don't know if they gave out chalupas. They stopped that long ago, but they should have on a night like last night and 127 points scored by the Trailblazers, a couple of debuts by new players that people hadn't seen in a Blazers uniform, and all was well. And it made me, like I woke up this morning thinking about my old friend Robert Hatchett, and I wrote about him at johnconzano.com. He, he was the parking attendant inside the PacWest Center garage for 31 years. He worked there 31 years. He was the valet. That was the technical term. He made about $15 an hour. 
He was basically in charge of, you know, waving the cars past, making sure people parked in the spaces, didn't double park, or if they did double park, they leave him their key so that he can uh, move the car afterwards. He was basically running air traffic control in the underground parking garage uh, for 31 years. 65-year-old guy. And uh, he, he won one season, I think it was a 2013 season, it, the Blazers were on their way to winning like, 33 games that year it was not a great season and they were playing the Lakers late in the year and I happened to have two tickets to the game and I gave them to Robert he's the parking attendant I said you know do you want to go to the game he's like the biggest Blazer fan I've ever met and Robert uh, was delighted to take the tickets and he had a phone at his little desk that he had this little podium that he had on the first level of that parking garage and he had a phone there and so he he uh, ran over and he called his wife Dorothy and he said hey uh, I've I've got two tickets to the game uh, you know and his grandson's name was Taurus and he said I'm gonna take Taurus to the game and don't tell him just tell him I'll be picking him up after school I will swing by and get him and I'll take him to the basketball game and he was so excited and I happened to be going to that night's game with a uh, with my media credential, I was covering that night's game, and I made a mental note to check in on Robert and his grandson in section 121. They were in uh, 121, last row of the 100 level, their backs against the railing, and I found them there uh, not long after the doors to the arena opened up. They must have been among the first people in line, you know, clamoring to get into the arena for what was like a seven o'clock tip-off. Uh, Lakers Blazer game and uh, I walked up and I shook hands with Robert and it was interesting to see him kind of out of his element you know he's not working he's relaxing he's with his grandson I met his grandson and he introduced me to his grandson as his friend John that meant the world to me I you know because I had like I I considered him we were on friendly terms but he turned to his grandson he said this is my friend John and I remember like feeling uh, good about him saying that, that he considered me his friend. Because we just talked in passing, and I'm sure you have people in your life that are in your orbit. Maybe it's a grocery clerk. Uh, maybe it's a gas station attendant. Maybe it's somebody working in a service industry job that you see routinely, a barista, somebody. And, you know, it would be like that person referring to you as a friend later uh, when, you're, when you're out of context and you bump into them in real life. And uh, it meant a lot to me. And, you know, I remember talking with his grandson just for a moment, saying, this is really cool. You're with your grandpa. He's taking you to the game. How exciting. And they were having, you know, a bite to eat, and they were watching the players warm up. And uh, I said goodbye and walked away. And the grandfather turned to his grandson. He said something as I walked away, and I caught it. And I, it's unmistakable. I can't unhear it. He said, you know, there's a lot to see here. All you got to do is look. And he was kind of telling him, like, watch how Kobe warms up. Watch how, you know, uh, Damian Lillard warms up. I think Lillard went for like 38 that night. Kobe went for 47, as I mentioned, and the Lakers won. But it was interesting to kind of think about that because it reminded me of my own grandfather. Like I grew up, uh, every summer I would spend a week with my grandparents. I would go and just visit them, and they did that with all of their grandkids. They have five grandkids, and so they would take each of the grandkids for a week in the summertime 
and generally my grandmother would spend one day taking you school shopping. She'd buy, like, you know, here, get a pair of shoes. I can remember I got a pair of Nike shoes one time, and they were $40, which was a lot of money at that time. And I can remember my grandfather saying, that's $20 a, uh, a shoe. Like, I remember that clear as day. And so then we would spend another day, maybe I would help my grandparents. I'd be cleaning up in the backyard, raking leaves or cleaning windows or doing some odd job for them. And then, you know, one of the days, generally, my grandfather would say, hey, do you want to go play golf? And he would take me to, like, the par three course that was near the house. I never really got to play golf. And he would teach me, hey, here's how you swing a club. Here's how you play golf. Here's how you line up a putt. Do something like that. But a couple of few times... My grandfather said to me, hey, the Giants are playing. It's a 2 p.m. first pitch. be like a Wednesday. Why don't we go to see the Giants play? And he would drive his Buick Riviera up the uh, Highway 101, and we would go, and we would uh, buy two seats that were lower reserve seats, and we would sit and watch the Giants play the Cubs or the Cardinals or somebody. And I can remember, like, you know, Back to my point, the Giants were not good at that era. We're talking about like 1979, 1980, 1983, 84 San Francisco Giants. There's some teams in there that lost 100 games that were not very good. But I don't remember that as a kid. I remember simply being at the stadium and how exciting it was to walk through the parking lot at Candlestick Park and go through the gates, the anticipation, the sounds of the ballpark. And then, you know, in the 1970s, 60s style ballparks of that time, there was a whole bunch of concrete and plastic. But I remember, like, walking through the tunnel where you would, could finally see the grass of the outfield at Candlestick Park and the dirt infield. You could finally see it. You would often get hit with a gust of wind as you walked through those tunnels because it was howling at Candlestick Point. But I can remember the anticipation. I can remember the excitement. And maybe some sports writer or sportscaster was busy earlier that day telling their audience, hey, this season doesn't matter. This season's going nowhere. The Giants are dead on arrival. They're not going to win a damn thing in your lifetime. They might have been saying those same things. But as a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, I was at the ballpark. My grandfather was with me, and it was amazing. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. It is a bonding experience. As that mentor told me, that editor, all those years ago, sometimes a game is just a game. And sometimes a game is good enough. Like last night, the Blazers, they played well. They beat the Lakers. I think it was a real thrill probably for most of the people who were at Moda Center to see the Blazers win. They probably got their money's worth. They got the price of admission. Well, I wrote about Robert Hatchett and his grandson today. You can read the rest of it at johnconzano.com. There's a sad, uh, sobering part of the story. I'll leave it to you if you want to read it to go seek it out and find it. But it was just a reminder to me as I woke up today, I was thinking about the Lakers, I was thinking about the Blazers, and I was going, you know, I think that was a Laker-Blazer game all those years ago that I gave him tickets to. And I went looking for the game, and I was like, yeah, it was a Wednesday. I remember that. I remember him saying he was going to pick up his grandson after school. I can remember him saying he was going to go to the game and, you know, do all those things. But, um, you know, again, sometimes a game's just a game. It, and it's okay it, for a season – 
that appears to the rest of us a season that's going nowhere, sometimes there's something magical buried in all of that. Uh, Coming up, uh, we're going to talk some college basketball on today's show, why basketball is super important to the Pac-12. We'll get a visit from two college coaches on today's program. Tomorrow, we're going to dive deep on the expansion possibilities for the Pac-12. We're going to talk to people involved at SMU and San Diego State about their teams, their programs. we got a great show for you today. So much to discuss. I hope you leave it right here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Big Valentine's Day today. Everybody uh, everybody got their uh, plans lined up? Uh, yeah, definitely. What, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. No, no, you're not doing nothing. Well, tell me what to do. <laughs> you need I, to get a card. You need to do something heartfelt. Well, hopefully she's not listening because I'll go do that on the way home then. Do that on the way home. You got, in fact, you're right there in the lobby, there's a uh, little store down there that's got some uh, nice cards. Get a blank card. Write a few sentences about, you know, how you feel. You know, I can't write this for you. Okay. <laughs> you're, the, you're the writer. I mean... <laughs> I, but you you got to uh, you got to come home with something. Okay, it will be a surprise because usually I wouldn't do anything. It would be ca- catch off guard. So thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll yes. do something then. Hey, I got a call one time from Mario Cristobal on Valentine's. Mm. It was about six thirty at night, and uh, Anna and I had gone to a restaurant, and it was kind of crowded around the restaurant. And I said to Anna, I said, "Let me drop you off. I'll go park the car." We were just going out to dinner, and. Uh, Mario Cristobal called me while I was driving around the block. And he said, hey, I've been really busy. Uh, you know, there was some other thing. I can't even remember why he was calling me back. But uh, then he said, hey, by the way, I'm on my way home right now. It's Valentine's Day. What do I do? And I said, what do you mean, what do you do? He said, I haven't done anything. He was immersed in his work life. So you're not alone. Like, he's monomaniacally immersed in what he was doing Work-wise. You, find your, you found your side hustle there, just helping uh, dudes on <laughs> Valentine's Day. You know what? That should, be a, that should be a thing. Like, people could sign up, and then uh, what do you do? You have uh, somebody else write out a card? Yeah. Send, you're, just every year? Hey, every year you'll get an auto bill, and we're going to deliver flowers and, and a card. I think sign with on, your name. I, I think you're on to something, John. I mean, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. L- long after, you know, we all are 100 years old and we pass away, that will continue to happen. <laughs> Every year, your wife will be creeped out when she gets uh, a gift from you uh, (laughs) long after you have passed away. (laughs) Reaching out from the grave. Uh, Peter Sampson, what are you doing on this Valentine's Day? Yeah, we actively and consciously celebrated it already because we've both got really hectic work days today and parenting in the middle of that. But I'll tell you, still, uh, you know. First thing this morning, wished a happy Valentine's Day. We already exchanged gifts so I can say what I did. It was nothing major, but uh, as a avid uh, wine collectors, I got I, we like to do flights. And so I got her a really nice board with, uh, you know, four or five matching crafts. So it's kind of a, a chalkboard on a wooden board so we can set up some tasting flights. That's something we enjoy doing when the sun comes out. So uh, it, it's a gift that says I know you, which I know that you are into, John. I'm big into that. All you have to do anybody who's listening is all anybody's looking for is um, 
is, uh, you know, hey, do you get me? Do you know who I am? Do you understand me? Uh, that's all anybody's looking for in uh, on, a, on a day like today. And then years ago, um, Anna, Anna told me one time that she didn't want to be like other people who celebrate this holiday. And I'm here to tell you guys, if your significant other ever tells you, hey, I don't want anything, I don't need anything, you know, I don't want, this is a commercial holiday, all of that nonsense. Anna went to work. She looked around. Her coworkers were getting flowers. Her coworkers had cards from their significant others. She came home, and uh, she looked a little sad. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I don't want to do this next year. <laughs> so I said, damn it. Why didn't I almost defied the order? and just got her a card or something, it just doesn't take much effort there. Um, so uh, I'm telling you, fellas, it's not too late. It's 321 on Valentine's Day. you got plenty of ball left to play. Essentially, you're like the Kansas City Chiefs. You're down 10 at halftime, but you got Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. You're going to be just fine. Yeah, I just got my motivation pep talk right here. So yeah, <laughs> got my halftime, halftime speech from you, so we're good to go. There it is. There it is. Um, hey, uh, we always talk about college basketball and I think we talk about it in terms that, well, like when we frame the importance of college basketball, we sometimes don't look at um, college basketball as anywhere near as important or big as college football. But you guys are both basketball guys, and I want to bounce something off you I've been thinking about in the last day or two. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is awfully focused on football media rights. We're, we're told that 80 cents of every dollar um, – you know, our our uh, go our, our the value of the media rights eighty cents on the dollar is is football related. That basketball is only worth twenty cents of the value. And I'm kind of wondering, as I evaluate the Pac-12 landscape, it's clear that UCLA and Arizona are going to the NCAA tournament, and those programs matter. Beyond that, it's Oregon kind of. It's Utah, kind of. It's USC, kind of. Maybe it's Arizona State, kind of. I'm just wondering if the Pac-12 is missing something when it comes to investment in basketball, importance of basketball. I've been working on a series on this, but I want anecdotally you guys to tell me. Like, you see the college basketball landscape. The Big 12 does a better job, uh, by and large, with its basketball programs. You see how many teams are ranked versus the Pac-12's two teams that, that seem to matter. Do you think the Pac-12 is undervaluing men's college basketball? I guess that's the question. I do, uh, because I do think that there still is a market for it. Um, and it's one of those things where you know most of us just pay attention to the NCAA tournament, which brings in the most dollars, but you do look at other conferences, and they are selling out their, their arenas. Uh, they are making a lot of money. Like, it is... The thing about basketball is is there's a lot of money involved in it. Like we talk NIL deals like NIL NIL is huge for basketball and it always has been because in the AAU circuit, like that stuff's been happening, you know, under the table for so long, maybe even more than football. And now that it's out there in the open, like it's all about your brand and basketball. So I do think that there still is a college basketball market out there if you're willing to um you know invest in it. And you look you talk about Arizona. You know, they had been down you know, Sean Miller is there. There's a lot of uh, investigations. They were down for a year. They're bringing Tommy Lloyd. And now you look at that crowd and you look at Arizona. Like, they're at the top and they're one of the best teams in the nation. And that atmosphere they have down in Tucson is unbelievable. And I think that can happen a lot more 
if teams just are willing to be more invested in the program. And it'll be really interesting to see how Oregon reacts with Jackson Shellstad coming there next year. You know, an Oregon guy, just like when Peyton Pritchard was there. You know, there was a lot of hype around that because he was a West Lynn guy going to Oregon, hometown kid, and then they become really good. Same thing with Shellstad. Like, if he becomes a really good player, I think that can help Oregon a lot. And I think there is some money to be made there. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about whether or not the Pac-12 is blowing it by not investing more, thinking more about basketball relative to, you know, like they, I think the conferences themselves think about media rights dollars, but I think the rest of us kind of just look at the sports landscape. And here comes college basketball, right? The, the NFL season officially over on Sunday with the Super Bowl ending. And I, I pivot pretty hard at that point towards seeing if, A, are the Blazers relevant? Are they in this thing? Are they worth really tracking closely down the stretch? And right now, from a competitive standpoint, probably not. But there's going to be some important developments for the Blazers in the coming months on the uh, are they for sale front? Should they be for sale front? What's the status of their lease? Uh, you know, how engaged uh, you know are they in trying to plan for their immediate and long-term future? And then I look at, hey, here comes March Madness. Uh, you know, we're we're essentially a month away from the conference tournaments right now, and uh, you know, the Pac-12 just I don't think is going to matter that much. And I frankly am looking at Arizona that just lost to Stanford, and I'm looking at UCLA, which they've been all right, but are they really a top ten team? I'm not. Sh- I'm not sold that they are. I'm looking at those two teams, and I'm going, gosh, if they happen to, uh, you know, get punched in the nose early in the NCAA tournament, it, there's a really good chance that the Pac-12 won't have anybody get out of the opening weekend and make the Sweet 16. Like, you know, odds are that one of them probably will get to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, um, and we've seen UCLA make some runs, but. I think those programs have been vulnerable, and you saw Stanford, as I mentioned, beating uh, Arizona. You saw Washington State beat Arizona. We saw USC beat UCLA uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, I think that there's some real vulnerability there, and I just wonder about the investment in general that this conference has made in football. We've seen it reap benefits. We're watching probably five teams will be ranked in the preseason top 25 next college football season, but from a basketball standpoint, this conference just is not investing in basketball in the way that some of the SEC schools and some of the Big 12 schools are, and I think that's alarming. I think it's something they need to pay attention to. And the thing is, is with football, we always talk about how does the Pac-12 crack into the college football playoff. They've had such a hard time. In basketball, Like, if there's a little bit of investment, we see this in Arizona, UCLA. They put a little investment in. They're right back in the national picture of, like, making Final Fours and getting right there. It's open. It's wide open for college basketball to get right back there as long as you are showing some type of investment. Where in college football, it's super hard to get into, you know, crack into that elite, elite programs. Yeah, I think the Pac-12 needs to think seriously, if it hasn't already, about, uh, you know, supporting some of those basketball programs, getting better as a conference, you know, you see some of these great, you know, crossover matchups between some of these other conferences. Some of these other conferences don't want to play the Pac-12 because the net rankings are killed because the bottom half of the Pac-12 uh, just isn't registering right now. You have, you know, several teams that are in the 200-plus range, Cal among them, uh, that, you know, they're darn near the bottom of college basketball and certainly Low, low Power 5 rankings. Shantae Leggins, the coach at the University of Portland, is going to join us next. 
Uh, we'll talk about Gonzaga and the race in the WCC. Uh, Shantae, next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. University of Portland uh, men's basketball team will be home this coming Saturday against Santa Clara at the Childs Center. You want to see them? This is your last chance to see the University of Portland uh, men's basketball team play at the Childs Center. They are on the road in the last week of the WCC schedule. Then it's off to Vegas for the conference tournament. Here to talk about it, Coach Shante Liggins, University of Portland men's basketball coach. Uh, how you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. You bet. You Sorry. bet. Yeah, look, you're you're in the you're in the you're in the home stretch here. You, you're coaching this yeah. team. Where like you, how does you, how different is your job right now than maybe early in the year where you're trying to figure out rotation, line up, and get some growth? Well, now you're trying to manage fatigue. You're trying to manage uh, you know guys starting to think you know what they're doing next year. All this kind of stuff that pops in pops into these young men's head, you know, and so now you got to start, you know, balancing that with trying to trying to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing everything, you know, as hard as you can, but for as long as you can, just because it's in the season and we should have everything, you know, where we need to be at. And you just want, you just want to make sure you guys are fresh for that, for the WCC tournament. Yeah. And, you know, this year, this conference has been, normally it's Gonzaga. Everybody's talking about, I think it's St. Mary's right now. You just saw them. What makes St. Mary's different this year? than other years their best talent is their toughness you know um they're a very tough basketball team and when i say tough they're not out there punching everybody but they're they, they set screens they block out they defend they help each other on defense they make timely shots they rebound the ball they, they do it every single time and that's something that is as, as a you know my second year in this league i'm looking at and it's something that you know you want your teams to strive towards and you want your program to be well, that program's that you, you got to make sure you're finding the right guys and doing things like that. But they're they're well coached. Um, they do a great job of, of of you know squeezing out every bit of talent they got. But then they just out tough you. Uh, they out tough you for 40 minutes, and you can stay with them for as long as you can. But they do the same thing over and over and over, and they fight every single play. Your guys, can you coach that? Can you teach that, or do you just do you need to uh, when you're recruiting go out and just find tougher players? I guess I'm asking, can you teach toughness? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of both. You know, you got to have some some guys that are open minded. You have some guys that want to you know go into it and, and and be able, but you also have to have a couple guys that are you know just going to you know bring it every day in practice and it brings everybody else up. And we have some very tough young men, but you know it, it's also you know it's also coaching. So I got to do a, a a job of you know where we're doing the same things and, and we're fighting and we're rebounding, we're blocking out, we're taking those charges every single day in practice too. And I think that always leads over to the game. So you know, Randy Bennett's a is a Hall of Fame coach, and he does a great job with his team. So he gives you something to, to look for and strive towards. You guys will get this home game I mentioned on Saturday against Santa Clara at the Childs Center. 5.30 tip for people who want to go. You're not up against any football anymore. You should get a good crowd there. Uh, you know, what would that mean to you, to look up and see some fans there that are there to kind of send you off to the last week of the season and then the conference tournament? It would be great. You know, we've had some great support. You know, um, 
for these last home games of ours, and it, it's been awesome. I mean, it, it's great for the young, you know, it's great for our players, and it's great for our program as we keep building this thing and, and we keep putting the you know program up to where you know we need to be going and, and, and the standards we need to keep. I mean, it's it's great to look up there and see and you see fans and, and see that they're having a good time at the games and seeing that you know we're putting we're putting a good product on the floor and we you know obviously. Some of these wins and losses at home, you need some you need some W's and it gets some more people out here because you know they that attracts people. But you know our style of play and the young men we have on in those jerseys and the uniforms, um, that's what brings them back. And so we're we're excited and uh, we we we've had some really good crowds as of late. You guys have a shot here with three to go, and you're sitting at 13 and 15 overall. You have a shot to finish above 500 in overall and to finish 500 in conference play. Do you set many goals like that, or do you stay kind of in the moment, game to game? Well, as, as a coach, yeah, I set a lot of goals uh, for ourselves and, and our program. And, you know, with, with the guys we go, you know, we talked about being 1-0 next week. And, you know, we have a game Saturday, we got to go 1-0, and then you got to go 1-0 the next game. But as a coach, yeah, you look at those things. You know, you want to be – you want to have the best record you possibly can have, and so you know you're looking at you have a great you have a home game against a really good team, and then you're also looking at seeding. You're also looking at different things about you know where we're going to be for that tournament, and and you know we want to put our best foot forward, and we think we can beat anybody if we if we have the the opportunity to do some things uh, you know in the right in the right way, and so you know it's important that we go out on a, with a bang. You know we lost our first three games. We'd love to finish this season with our last three you know last three games being wins. Yeah, you have a chance here. I mean, I'm looking at the standings, the WCC standings. I mean, you could end up as high as third in conference play if the right things happen. You could end up as you know as low as being near the bottom of the conference. That's a big difference when it comes to that conference tournament, isn't it? It's a huge difference, and and that's exactly you know what we're playing for. And and you know our goal every single time, every single year is to win the tournament. And our goal is to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward and and to win the league. And so right now we got to you know, we got to do whatever we can to to get some of these buys and, and, and try to put our best foot forward for this tournament. And so, yeah, it's very important that we go out and we win these three games, and it also gives us great momentum, you know, going into the WCC tournament because I feel that we can beat anybody on any given day, but, you know, we got to make sure we handle business on Saturday first. I think it's better, like, you know, you look, like there's some years that Gonzaga's run away with the conference, and they're not doing that this season. St. Mary's right there with them. Santa Clara's been good. You guys have had some moments. Uh, you know, Pacific even, you know, and LMU have won games, some big yeah. games. Like, like, it feels a lot more balanced. Do you see that, or how has that been for you? No, I, I see it. I mean, if you if you look at these games, I mean, St. Mary's goes into BYU and has to hit a turnaround fadeaway. Um, to beat them, you know, on, on dang near a buzzer beater. Um, you know, Gonzaga goes and has to beat, win two games back-to-back, maybe three games um, in a row where they had to pull out wins on the road and they had to pull out another tough one against BYU. So it's it's a fun league. You know, you, you get LMU that, you know, I hate to give them any kind of publicity, but, you know, they, <laughs> they go and beat Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's and turn around and lose to San Diego and then turn around and lose to, you know, um, uh Santa Clara, and so it's just like as you look at the league, it's just like everybody can beat anybody at any given time, and, and so if you get hot at the right time, I, I think that team has a has a pretty good chance to to try to throw one of the big boys. I haven't so talked to league. yeah, I haven't talked to you really about how the transfer portal has affected your life, or you know maybe it, is it good and bad? Uh, you know some of the like the Big Sky conferences are telling me that they're getting high school players that are better than they used to get because there's not enough scholarships available with the portal being involved now. What are you seeing right now with the portal? 
Well, it's, it's making me go bald, if you know what I mean. You know, it's a very stressful thing. <laughs> I'm, yes. losing my, I'm losing my hair over here, man. It's, it's something new. you you got to recruit your guys and your team and, and you know, make sure that they want to be here and stay. But, yeah, like, you're getting you, – you, you get an opportunity to go and, and it, it, it's a double it's a double-edged sword, you know. You could – you can you can you can get your program to where you need it to be quick and in a hurry, but it's also hard to sometimes build and, and, and get that continuity that you want to have in a college program that that a lot of fans and, and and people are used to seeing. You know, you want to be able to say, I was with that kid since he was a freshman, and you know, I've, I've watched him grow into something special. Uh, but it, it it's a tough deal because yeah, like the Big Sky Conference. I mean, they lose all their best players. You know, it's it's tough if you get old in that conference. You have a chance to win in this conference. You get you you, you got to go get the best players available, and you, you can see some of these guys and some of these transfers that have, have, have really you know done really well. We've had some on our squad um, that have done unbelievable, you know. And so um, it, it just really depends, you know. You, you got to find the right fit, and a transfer can do it all for you, but it could also you know kind of submarine submarine a season if you if you get the wrong yeah. kind of guys. And so um, you never know uh, sometimes what you're getting with transfers, and so. You really got to do your homework. You really got to, you know, um, have an end with the kid, or or, or 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 know somebody that knows somebody that can tell you, hey, this kid isn't going to, you know, come into your program and think, you know, he, he he's Allen Iverson. You know, he he wants to come in and be a part of a winner. And so that's what you're looking for um, when when you really go into support. At least that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for guys who want to be a part of something special and and, and you know contribute to the. Uh, you know, to the to the school community, but also contribute to our program. You know, in, in positive ways, just not on the basketball court. Yeah, you hit on something there because I think I've seen a couple of programs that have been affected by taking the wrong kid out of the portal. And, you know, there's part of me that looks at it and goes, okay, you know, we've seen kids jump around in high school and club. I don't like all of the movement. Like sometimes you get a kid, maybe a coach doesn't tell them what they want to hear, so they transfer. How do you how do you sift through that? Is it just relationships, like you said, or finding someone who knows the kid? Yeah, it's just relationships, man. It, it's what it comes down to, and it, it comes down to, you know, even even with that, you you never know. Like you see, a, you can see a kid in the portal at six ten, can dribble, shoot it, does everything right, and you know everything is good, and he gets good grades. But then it's like, how's that kid in the portal? <laughs> Why? What? What? What happened? Why is he there? You know? And, and now it's like you got to go figure all that stuff out. So there's a lot of there's a lot of background information you got to make sure, you know, you're checking all the right boxes. And even then, it's still it's still a tough go because. I mean, you just don't know, you know, and that's that's the tough part. Is that's the tough part is you just never know um, who who you're bringing in. And sometimes, you know, when you recruit and you go through that whole process of, you know, recruiting a high school kid, you, you talk to his high school coach, you talk to his parents, you talk to a counselor or two, you talk to some of the people he's played against. But when you get in that portal, you pretty much you, you may have to do the same stuff, but the kid may have changed in college, and and things may be a lot different than they were when you when you first started, you know. A lot of guys say you recruit this kid early and he's probably going to bounce back to you, but what's happened since, since you recruited that kid, you know? Um, and so that's, that's, that's sometimes the, the, the tough part because you just sometimes don't know. And, and like I said, it could, it, could really, it could really bring down a season or it could, it could pull a season up. When you guys are at your best, uh, again, we're talking to Shante Leggins, the men's basketball coach, University of Portland. When you're playing your best basketball, what's going right? We're moving the ball. We're making shots. We're rebounding. You know, that, that, I think that's at our best. You know, we – we have a really good shooting team. Uh, we have we have very unselfish players. Uh, we have guys that play for each other. But then we just got to you know do some of these toughest things to get some of these rebounds. And, and if you do that, if you see us rebounding and not turning the ball over, we're pretty we're a pretty good team. And so I think we've had some of those good games as of late. You know we lost our last game, but you know they had nine turnovers, but we gave up a whole bunch of offensive rebounds. And so um, 
you know, we got to sure that up before this Saturday. But if we're doing those things, I think we're pretty good. Now, I'm not drumming up a bad memory here without a reason, but I want to go back to February 4th at Pepperdine. Oh, uh, there you go. I knew it. The, I but, said softballs, man. They didn't relay that information. No, I'm kidding. No. I'm, Look, playing, I, I'm playing. I was watching the end of that game. You guys yeah. won the game. It was over. Yeah. What the I, hell I, I happened? Agree with you on that. What happened? Uh, they 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 saw you know um, there was a there's a like not an altercation but there was a little after the after the whistle or after the horn went off um, the whistle blew and there was there was a couple of guys still playing after the whistle and one of my guys tried to get him off and, yeah and, you know I, I thought the game was over I, you know a lot a lot of things happened in that in that moment um, you know and you know those games I mean they changed they changed a lot right right yeah. now you'd say we we'd be 500 right now you know and. And we'd have another game in, in, in league, and so we, you know, so all those things it changes a lot of different things. But it's a great learning lesson for our team, and yeah, and, uh, it was it was a, it was a tough tough scenario to be in. Yeah, let me just I can say this because I won't get fined. Um, yeah, you, there you, you go. You're ahead ninety three ninety two. The other team is takes a shot. Your guy rebounds it. The clock runs out. He's got a Pepperdine player draped on his back. And he kind of does what we all, would all do in that situation, kind of gives him a half elbow, get off me, the game's over move. And yeah. there should have been a no call there, but the officials flagged your guy for a technical foul, let the Pepperdine player shoot two, you lose yeah. 94-93. I thought you composed yourself well because I wouldn't have been that calm on the sideline. No, and that's the thing I <laughs> – you know, I had a lot of calls from a lot of friends of mine that have, have, have known me, and you know, you guys see me coach, and you guys see how intense I get. I was, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty mellow for that. You know, I, I just knew that some, some things were going to happen, and that my, you know, I probably needed to be there for my guys. You know, because that was going to be a tough one. I felt, I felt it when they blew the whistle and they said they're going to review it. I knew something was going to happen, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to compound anything with, you know, you know, anything dumb of my part and and, and hurt at that end. So. You know, I figured something was going to happen, but uh, you know, sometimes you, you you gotta you gotta handle your business in regulation and in the overtime, so it doesn't get to that part. You know, you, you never yeah. want to give it up to anybody else. You want to control what you can control, and we can control making free throws, and we can control not turning the rock over. And so, you know, we did a couple of those things at the end of that game. But you know, they fought, and they you know that's 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 one of those games where you could always look back and say, hey, if we if we do a couple of these things here, you can win that game, even with what happened at the end of the game with with some of these some of the things that you can't control, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was a tough situation for my players and, and uh, you know, for our program. That was a tough loss. That would have been a road sweep, and, you know, I think we're feeling real good about ourselves coming into that next weekend. Yeah, and it, look, and, it, and I often think sometimes you, you get something out of that that is more valuable than a win, and maybe you uh, take it forward. But I think in that moment, um, you guys handled yourselves with a lot of poise. Uh, Saturday, you have Santa Clara. You look at them on film. You've already seen them. Uh, what 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 should we expect for people who are going to go to the game? Well, they got they got a kid that's uh, getting some NBA looks. You know, if you look uh, you know um, if you look uh, if you look around, he's, he's he's a second rounder right now. He's only a sophomore. He's a pretty good player. He's averaging about twenty points. And then you know they got two other kids that that are averaging fifteen points or better. So you know they put up a lot of points. Those three guys. So they got a three headed monster. Um, and they're coached by a really good coach, Herb Sindek, uh, they, and they do a really good job. It's the first time. Um, that they'd be uh, they'd be coming to our campus in two years. Uh, last year they didn't come play us at, at our place, and so we're excited to get them at at home um, this year. Um, and so we're, we're looking forward to to having them, and we're looking forward to playing a home game, especially you know for our seniors because it's senior night. So 
We'd love to come out. We'd love for everybody to come out and support these young men that, that have given, you know, everything they've got in the last two years um, to our program and start pushing us. These, these, these seniors, especially Jack Perry, um, has helped, you know, the last two years put our program and start pushing it in the right direction to where we need to be at. So come support him and, and Joey St. Pierre and the, the other seniors that are, the other guys that are graduating this, this next year. Yeah, your last chance to see University of Portland at home at the Child Center. Tickets uh, range from 6 bucks to $22. Uh, great. Uh, that would be a great for grandpas out there. Take your grandkids. For dads, take your kids. Moms, take your kids. Go see University of Portland play on Saturday. Shante, thanks for joining us. I always appreciate you. Good. I got a quick question for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pepper me. How would you, how, which coach would you rather be, the coach that lost to Pepperdine? Or the NAU coach that, that, that got that buzzer beat against them against uh, Portland State. Think I about think that. I I <laughs> think CYC yours I think your loss sucked more because <laughs> yes, it did. I agree. they they made a play. You know, Portland State made a yeah. play. Like mm-hmm. tip your cap, it it's a miracle shot. They made a play. I feel yeah. like all 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 Pepperdine did was drape itself over your player and collect a cheap technical foul. Yeah, I mean, they did what they had to do. Yeah, I get you. No, no, but the the game's over. Which one? When when the horn goes off, here's my question for the WCC office, okay? I don't have a dog in this fight. You know, like, look, uh, when the horn goes off, at what point do you, like, do the officials let go of the game? Like, what what if your guys walk into the locker room and he says something to the official? Is it a tech then? What if uh, what if someone's in the parking lot? Like, you know, they call everybody back to the court and let them shoot a tee? Like, I don't, I don't. I don't understand what they said. The play was over. Yeah, I, 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 I thought so too. So that's yeah. always tough, you know. It's always you always look. All, all the players thought the same thing. So tell them to find me always for tough. it. They can I find me. Come find you. Thank yeah. you for having me. All right, me. you bet, really appreciate Shante. It. Appreciate you. Right, Good go luck Saturday. Bye. All right, yeah. there he is. Saturday at the Child Center. Uh, Stephen, I don't know if you saw that that loss to Pepperdine earlier in the year, but. They won the game in double overtime. It would be essentially like me taking a shot, you getting the defensive rebound, and doing what you're supposed to do. You grab that rebound. You got two hands on the ball. You turn your back to me. You kind of get big so I can't grab the basketball from you. The clock runs out. But I continue to drape myself over your back trying to swipe at the ball, swipe at the ball. You finally, out of frustration, go get off me, and you kind of turn around like, what are you doing? The game's over technical foul yeah no doubt i did see that play um the the whack part about it was is the buzzer went off so like the game should have been over and then the refs went back and added time so like yeah they should have gotten like a flagrant technical foul for throwing the elbow but the game was technically over when he did it so like it shouldn't have been i'm with you like it was a really bad call a really messed up way to lose the game because it was a hard-fought game really high scoring entertaining game and uh yeah i would not be happy about that if i was uh, coach leggins i was uh, i was you know there was part of me that was like oh i gotta see what shantae's doing but there's part of me when i looked at his reaction that i was like wow he's got a lot he's very calm he sort of just put it in the hands of the officials like are you hey if you're really gonna make this call go ahead and you know pepperdine's got uh you know lorenzo romar coaching he was doing the same thing. He was kind of folding his arms like down deep. He had to know you just lost the game. Like you just lost the game. The officials are then going, well, we need to go to the tape and assess whether this is a technical foul. It's ridiculous. It's one of those moments where you go, come on.
in that Portland like, State play yeah. that you guys were talking about, yeah. that is one of the most insane plays I've ever seen. If anybody hasn't seen it, they should go check out the Portland State buzzer beater. I, I mean, throwing it full court with yes. four tenths of a second, catching it midair and just throwing it, I've never seen a play like that. That was unbelievable. Chase Coburn, Portland State coach, will be with us at 5.15 to talk about it. I want you to leave it here. Our big splash is next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 7.50, The Game. Punch and audio coming up top of the hour. We got great sound there. Anna will be along in the 4 o'clock hour. Major League Baseball says they will emphasize the enforcement of the balk rule. Uh, feels to me like Major League Baseball is doing some things here with the shift and some minor league experimentation in the balk. What are they trying to do? They're trying to add some offense to the game. They've figured out that the NFL and some other sports, the NBA, have uh, increased scoring and increased interest. So, yeah, strikeout's not good for the game of baseball. So I think uh, we're looking at, we're going to see run production, which, by the way, we looked at batting averages. I, I took a look at batting averages last season, and it struck me that, you know, we're, we're trending towards all-time lows in run production and batting average. Too much specialization, too many shifts, too many strikeouts. Um, I think baseball is getting wise in saying, hey, uh, it's not too little too late. They are too late, but they are trying to emphasize balk enforcements. They're going to start calling them more judiciously and the the uh, obviously the shift and obviously looking at some other things with the strike zone. It leads us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the Las Vegas Raiders made a move today. They released Derek Carr. The veteran quarterback had declined to waive his no-trade clause. Just before more than $40 million of his contract would have become guaranteed, the Raiders said, we're out. Uh, Carr's agent Tim Younger said in a statement, this is the tough part of the business. That's the point, though. It's just business. Time for a reset for both sides. Uh, Carr said last season he would probably retire rather than play for a team other than the Raiders, but we will soon find out. The Raiders have only one quarterback, Chase Garbers, under contract. Punch It Audio is next. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Anna will be along later this hour. Chase Coburn, Portland State men's basketball coach, will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. In the happy hour, so to speak. Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State men's basketball coach, later this week. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on tomorrow's show from San Diego. He wants to talk about San Diego State to the Pac-12. Is that going to happen? 
We'll talk to Hacksaw about it. That and so much more on the horizon here. What I'm saying is we're not sitting around, okay? We're busy getting the best guests all the time. Steven is uh, working on his uh, Valentine's Day, and I'm going to launch into Punch It Audio. The best sound from all around. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Eric Bieniemy, all he does is call the plays for the Super Bowl champion. He can't get a head coaching job to save his life. Shannon Sharp weighing in on Bieniemy getting passed over. Punch it. It should be offered without any explanation. Hell, the GMs and the owners don't want to hire him. It's really that simple, Skip, because they keep moving the goalposts. Well, we need somebody with NFL experience, and then you go hire a head coach from college. Well, we need somebody to call plays. Skip, I want you to tell me who called plays. Zach Taylor, did he call plays? Mm. Matt LaFleur, did he call plays? No. What about Joe Judge? Kevin Stefanski, Nick Sirianni, Dan Campbell, Kevin O'Connell, Nathaniel Hackett. I think Nathaniel did call him for Jacksonville. Jackson, Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Take but, him but off. He, he did not, not, in, Green not in Green Bay. Not in Green Bay. Yeah. Hold on. Matt, okay. Here's the offensive coordinator under Andy Reid that did not call plays that got jobs. Matt Nagy. That's a good one. Doug Peterson. That's a better one. Brad Childress. Mm -hmm. All of them got head coaching jobs without calling plays. Eric Bieniemy under under Andy Reid for damn near a decade. Well, he doesn't call plays. Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator in Kansas City since 2018. On Sunday, his contract expired right around the time he engineered the offensive performance that resulted in the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Tyreek Hill. Once a weapon in Bienemy's offense, tweeted out, EB still has no job, it's crazy to me. Bienemy's interviewed for 12 head coaching vacancy in the last five years. Yet to get a job. Now, he could very well return to the Chiefs, but Shannon Sharp's right. There's a whole bunch of player, a whole bunch of coaches getting opportunities that are not as qualified as Eric Bienemy. So I would love to hear somebody talk about what is going on with this. Mike Freeman, who writes the sports column, was heavily critical of the NFL teams that have passed on Biennemi. What is going on there? Jake Tapper and Bob Costas talked about it today as well. Punch it. So you don't want to jump to necessarily any conclusions, but the evidence here certainly suggests a conclusion. Yeah, well, I, I'm just looking at his merit. That's what, the reason I asked the question is not because he's black, because I look at his merit and I say, why yes. hasn't somebody snatched him up? Listen to how Mike Freeman of USA Today put it. He said, despite coordinating one of the best offenses mm -hmm. in recent history, the enemy continues to get passed over, accidentally, actually passed over is too nice a phrase to use. Eric, the enemy will likely get screwed again. And this comes in the context we need to know that several black NFL coaches are suing the league. Look, this is a league that has a poor record when it comes to people of color 
becoming president, becoming head coach, becoming general manager. And Eric Bieniemy right now is the face of that. Really puzzling. I would love for somebody to explain to me what is going on. Does he not interview well? Somebody should say that if that's true. Is it Patrick Mahomes? Do people look at Mahomes and say, hey, he's just too good. And people are skeptical that the that Bienemy is the uh, is the difference maker there. I got a question for you, John, because yeah. the Eagles offensive coordinator job is open. If Bienemy were to go to the Eagles, would they give him any credit there either? Because it's Jalen Hurts, it's Nick Sirianni. Yeah. Does Bienemy have to go to somewhere like a bad team and make them good to finally get credit? Because I'm with you. Maybe it is just the Patrick Mahomes thing, the Andy Reid thing, but based off this guy's resume he should have a job right now because head coach yeah, job yeah there are a lot of coaches who have been in a similar circumstance dan lanning at georgia great example defensive coordinator for a defensive head coach that was calling the defense and kirby smart oregon still looked and said hey that's a guy we need to have i love what kansas city does with motion putting their players in position to succeed Incredibly creative offense, even if it's Andy Reid's offense. Hire the guy calling the plays for crying out loud. Eric Bieniemy, um, if I'm him, I sit tight in Kansas City. If nobody ever hires him, it ends up a crying shame. But really, really puzzling. Staying in the NFL, Ian Rappaport talking about the release of Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. Punch it. He will get to be a free agent, and someone else is going to give him a lot of guaranteed money. So that's a little bit of a trade-off there. Derek Carr expected to be one of the most coveted free agents out there, and, and in a really interesting way, because no other free agents, if you are not released, you can't talk to anyone right now. you got to wait till the start of the league year, at least until right before the start of the league year when everyone does the thing where they talk to each other but don't actually do deals because that would be illegal. Derek Carr gets to do all of that as soon as he is officially, officially released today. So he gets to get a jump on him. I would not expect a quick free agency. I would expect multiple visits. And I would also keep in mind that the Saints really liked him. There's some mutual interest there as well. Look, fit is going to be important uh, for any quarterback, but especially for Derek Carr. He gets one opportunity now to prove he wasn't the problem. And I think it's really important that he and his agent get the right fit, find the right place in this second uh, this second chance so to speak pat 40 yahoo sports says he'd be concerned if he was in the pac-12 and wanted to stay in the pac-12 what's 40 talking about punch it i mean i would be concerned if i were in the pac-12 and wanted to stay in the pac-12 just because the yeah we got this sort of vibe that had come out been coming out uh, hasn't been followed with any real action. And they may still be saying those things. They may still be talking a good game, but we got to see them play the game. We've got to see a meteorites deal. And then we've got to see the expansion, or maybe those the, the, the cart is now in front of the horse. We've talked about that, that it was always going to be, here's the meteorites deal, then here's the next round of expansion and maybe now it's we've got to expand first to secure the meteorite if you're sitting there especially if you're if you're if you're oregon washington and you know and you have some pretty desirable properties and if you're the four corner schools that you mentioned and you could really you know pretty theoretically easily 
see yourself fitting into the Big 12, I think you got to be saying, all right, George, what, what do we have here exactly? What's the plan? What are we going with? Where's the money coming from? And who else is coming in? And out of those people that are coming in, who's going to help us? So uh, I would be... I would have to think there's a little bit of stress uh, at Pac-12 leadership right now. They may still feel like they got everything under control, but again, we've got to see it. We've time to put cards on the table. I like Pat Forty. I know him. I've known him for years, and I think there's some truth in what he's saying here. I think the Pac-12 is feeling some pressure. I think their statement yesterday from the ten university presidents, chancellors, their statement of unity was a curious statement to make while you're negotiating a media rights deal. But they said they were trying to stave off some of the criticism. They were trying to uh, wave away some of the uh, erroneous media reports that they saw circulating. I don't think that Oregon and Washington really have anywhere to go. I don't think they want to be in the Big 12 Conference. I don't think that they're in a bad position being in the Pac-12. But I agree with Forty on this thing. The Pac-12's got to come up with a deal. And they have, in my mind, they've got a month to do it. It's in, in probably more like three weeks to get some kind of deal, go public with it, have something to show for the time, have some traction, because I don't think it's Oregon or Washington that gets restless right now. I think Arizona is the restless partner, and it has to do with men's basketball more than anything. That's the one school that I look at and I go, I think they're on board. I think they want to be in the Pac-12. I think they know they're better off in the Pac-12. But I also think if you're looking at it from a basketball standpoint and not football, maybe there's some incentive for Arizona to go, hey, uh, you know, would we be better off in another conference? We're not hearing what we like in the Pac-12. I don't think Utah, Colorado, or Arizona State are interested in leaving. I don't think Oregon or Washington are seriously interested in leaving. I think they're probably doing some diligence behind the scenes. I would be if I were Oregon or Washington. But I don't think, um, I don't think that, this conference is going to implode i just think right now it's a high stress time i think the conference looks a little foolish i think there are some questions about whether or not the conference is negotiating in the right way are they asking for too much what are they doing i think it's all super important high stress time yes i agree with that but uh i think they've got three weeks really to to kind of come up come forth with something I would be surprised when the men's basketball tournament starts on March the 8th. I would be surprised if the Pac-12 did not have a deal. Blazers, are they worried? They didn't do a whole lot at the trade deadline. Beat the Lakers last night. Damian Lillard said he wasn't really worried. Why? You know, I, I knew the position that our team was in maybe 20 games ago. I don't know um, where everybody was like, what's going on? And we're losing games. And I was like, you know, I, I never get worried because we have me. And that didn't mean I'm just going to do everything. But I know how to uh, control games and, and impact games and uh, contribute to, to winning. I love that he's got the confidence 
I love that. Put it on a T-shirt. I never get worried because we have me. Pop that on a T-shirt. But let's see how that goes. A month from now, 25 games from now, you know, if the Blazers are sitting outside looking in at the play-in tournament as they are today, I would be surprised if that's the same refrain. And I am also worried, like, look, it can't be on one person. And I know he's not saying that, but kind of feels that way on some nights. It can't be on one person. If he is hindered, if he goes down, they find themselves in matchups where they need the rest of this lineup to contribute, are they built to overcome that? I, You know, they're not built like Denver. They're not Memphis. They're not Sacramento. They're certainly not Phoenix or Dallas. This team's definitely got better. But I thought it was encouraging last night to see them boat race a Lakers team that a lot of people thought would be uh, moving in a different direction after the deadline. That's Punch It Audio, the best sound from all around. Anna's popping into the studio next. And in the 5 o'clock hour, Jace Coburn, the Portland State men's basketball coach, joins us. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. It's Valentine's Day or St. Valentine's Day. Anna has popped into the studio. Happy St. Valentine's Day, Anna. So official. <laughs> uh... Hey, I had somebody today. It's uh, not really that funny. I, I was laughing <laughs> You're kind. because. You're kind no. to laugh. So Are you official. laughing at yourself? I'm laughing just to laugh. I have a good time on this show. Why not? <laughs> somebody should. Um, so I'm in a coffee shop today, and I had somebody tell me, hey, I listen to you and your wife when she comes on the radio show. Uh-oh. And they said, um, you guys, it just sounds effortless. <laughs> oh, good. And- <laughs> I, I'm so glad that's the impression. Yeah. So, like our time on the radio, our marriage, <laughs> like what was I actually, it, what sounded effortless? I, I, I took it know. as a positive because <laughs> he was more or less saying, I want that, the relationship that you guys have, <laughs> that it sounds, we make it apparently sound uh, like it's easy. Yeah, I it's not know. easy. Not easy. Oh, come on. Am I that difficult? <laughs> it's not yeah. just, you have, t- we have two <laughs> Highly imperfect, flawed people trying to get through life together Speak and raise yourself. three daughters. It is not, there's nothing about that that is necessarily easy. It's work every day. We screw up. I screw up. You screw up every day in some way. This is so romantic. I screw up. It's real. <laughs> I screw up. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, you know how allergic I am to the word perfect. And it's this notion that, you know, oh, you're the perfect couple. I'm not even saying, like, us. I just went when people yeah. say that or whatever. You don't want to hear that. Because it's not true. We're we're very imperfect, as as all of us are. And so, you know, all we can do is try our best, forgive each other. But we argue all the time. We bicker. We disagree. We disappoint each other. There have been a couple times in this radio show where we have had full-blown argument to the point where you 
uh-huh. in a tantrum will get up, put your headset down, and walk off the walk yeah. out of the studio. Yeah. yeah, like I'm too old for this crap. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm yeah. above this. <laughs> right. I'm so above this. And right. then you leave me, mm-hmm. and I think. Like, Your name's on the show, kind of. Yeah, so like, I, I can't you have do nowhere that. to go. I can't really do that. <laughs> um, look, but I, I took it as a compliment. The it guy said it sounded, eff- it sounds effortless. I do have fun on this show, but it's probably true that like we have some mo- we have some moments. I'm sure where we just don't see things the same way. But I think that what really helps is kind of the big things, like the core values, like the idea of what we want for our family, what we value, are very much in alignment. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, they're not like 100%. It would be boring if we agreed on everything. Like, have yeah. you ever met a couple where they just agree on everything? That's so well, boring. If, if you're not having small arguments, at least, or disagreements, yeah, I think there's a bigger problem. Yeah. Like, somebody's sitting there biting their tongue, not feeling heard. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, look, every couple is different. They communicate differently. Mm-hmm. They argue differently. We happen to communicate probably more loudly when we're upset, maybe. So We've I, gotten better at it. Like, I think over time, we argue better and more fairly yeah. and less, like, nasty. You oh, know? Well, I think the bigger thing is you don't want to have, like, a, like, we are, we're always going to find, people are always going to find things that they don't see eye to eye on. Of day course. To, day to day. Right. And I grew up in an Italian family where we pretty much just said what was on our mind. And you grew up in an Asian family where your mother pretty much just said what was on her mind. Yeah, said or screamed it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's a lot of expression in that. Yeah. But I also think like, I, and I, you know, I think it's really important to model for your kids, like how they should be a mom, how they should be a dad. Like I learned to be a dad by watching my own dad and watching my grandpa's. Okay. Yeah. And I learned to be a husband by watching my dad and watching my two grandpas. Right. And so I'm always mindful with three daughters that they're watching me going, let's see what a husband's supposed to do Mm -hmm. as I treat you. Yeah. Right. So I always try to treat you with respect. And and if we disagree, make, you know, like, I think there's a respectful way to disagree. Like, sometimes you're just out in left field, Anna. (laughs) Oh, I know. Yeah. And you let me know that. Uh, no, just, like I, I think you're wrong on this one. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's unhealthy for kids to watch you disagree or even possibly yeah. have an agreement. But I also think it's important for the kids to see you make up and even to explain to them because yeah. you know, I think you and I both came from a generation where parents just kind of did their thing. They might have argued and then you never really heard about the resolution in the end. And, uh, you know, I think it's healthy to, like, explain to them, hey, you know, maybe we weren't at our best, but we talked it out. Like, I think that's important for them to see that closure and that an argument doesn't necessarily, like, dissolve the marriage. I uh, agree with all of that. And I also think um, as I have gotten older, I've just realized, like, sometimes it's – I know it ends well, so it's okay to disagree in a way that, like, is understated. It doesn't have to be, like, a huge battle. Well, and like, the thing you that... you know, everything, not everything needs to be a big battle. The thing that you do way better than me is... Go on. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm listening. I'm do we have time you... for this, I'm... Stephen? I'm recording. Stephen, do I'm, we rec- have... I'm recording it right now. Oh do gosh. we have time for this? Plenty of we time only, now. We only have an hour and a half left in the show. <laughs> 
Anna, we'll can push, you... we'll push brakes back. It's okay. We're re- we got it recorded. We're go. We're going. Yeah. Okay. I'll be brief. Go I'll ahead. be brief. Anna, go ahead. Uh, the thing that you do better than me is that you empathize. I don't know where you acquire this trait, but mm. if we're having a disagreement, you're way more inclined to step over to my side and kind of see where I'm coming from and even state that. Well, I can see how you would feel that way or you try to understand. Even if you disagree, you will try to empathize. And I am terrible at that because for me, empathizing is like I lose the argument and the minute I do that, it's like uh, I've, I've well, lost. I, I think I've given we, up. I actually think if we dig deeper into that, it probably has to do with the fact culturally in your household, In tell me if I'm wrong, Growing up in in a household that you know your mom's from China, your dad's from Taiwan, that uh, acknowledging that you're wrong came with severe repercussions. Yeah, it didn't end yeah. with acknowledging <laughs> yeah. that you were wrong, or even, or even a, apologizing, or even it didn't a, end, or even recognizing the other person's point of view. Right. Came, it was like waving the white flag. Yeah. See, yeah. and I I think I kind of feel like we don't need to agree, but just. Maybe we can understand why we don't agree. Like, let me just step back and go, okay, Anna Anna does not believe that the the trash cans need to, you know, let's pick a small thing. The trash cans go, need, need to go out, like the, go up. Anna doesn't believe that the trash cans <laughs> need to go out early, like to get it done early. Uh-huh. Like, she, like you know, hey, I get it. It makes you feel more comfortable, Anna, to see those trash cans up there by the curb right. a day early. Right. Doesn't make any sense. But I can see how that would make you feel easier. It doesn't mean I'm going to put them out there. It yeah. just means I'm going to see even, your viewpoint. So, like, so. if I felt that strongly about that, which yeah. I don't, even hearing you say, like, well, I can, I can see. I can see that that's really important to you. Right. You don't even have to agree. Okay. But if you can validate, like, I don't know. That's the only thing that I do so much better than you? Uh, that's, that's, that? That's, that's it? That's one of That many. feels like a, a discussion we need to have later. David's in Vancouver. He has a comment. David, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, I like it when Anna's on the show. Um, it gives a different perspective, a woman's perspective to the yep. show. It's really funny. And uh, I, it, you give us life lessons like you just did about yeah. this life. But my question is, that's my comment. Now the question, <laughs> you know, does Anna get paid like the rest of you guys? Or does she just show up and like having fun sitting there She's- dicking around? She was never invited, David. <laughs> she was not even invited to be on the show. And I kind of like the role that you play. Yeah. You're not an employee of the radio station. Yeah, I can't get fired. You cannot Isn't that get beautiful? fired. You are, you know, <laughs> you're just kind of here. You're like a caller that didn't have boundaries. Yeah. So you yeah. just showed up in the studio anyway. Yeah. Every I should day. change my Twitter profile to yeah. be like 7.50 a.m. the game Crasher. caller with no boundaries. She's crashing the show on a daily <laughs> basis. But I, 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 to David's point, I think it goes further than you just offering a female perspective because there are some times where you start talking about things that the guys on the show miss. Okay? Yeah. That's true. David's right. But I also think you do something else. You uh, will go out of your way sometimes to challenge me uh, in a way that is that people, I think, would be interested in hearing. Mm. Hey, you know, Gonzalo's got strong opinions, but his wife's putting him in his place right now. Let's see how he reacts to that. <laughs> and I think it's more like a sociology experiment. In that way, people are tuning in going, this is like reality TV on radio. Yeah, I don't know.
I, I mean, I just naturally disagree with you so often that it just has no, to No, but you, out. when I say something true. stupid, you call me on it. Most of the time. Most of the time. That's that's the other thing is you got to choose your battles. Choose your battles. But it's uh, like, yeah. so like Valentine's Day, you know, it's the kind of day where people go and they post wonderfully flowery messages to yep. their partners and they make these lovely proclamations of devotion, uh, you know, and they're public in addition to whatever they might be doing privately with flowers and cards and whatnot, which I have no problem with that. Like, I think that's so great and sweet, and I love Valentine's Day. It's one of my favorite holidays. But I also just am reminded that, you know, like, my social media, I'm not going to show you the moments in which we're having, like, a knockdown, drag-out argument. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm probably not stating that correctly, but I'm not going to post those moments. I don't know. It's just not my thing to, like, overshare. But, like, the version of our life and our marriage that you see on social media is generally happy. But I also think it's incredibly important for people to be authentic and be like, you know what? It's not a perfect marriage. It takes a ton of work daily to, like, make it work. And I don't know. It's just, I don't know. That's my soapbox. I had a teacher one time. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I had a teacher one time tell me, that any relationship is only as healthy as the two people involved in it. Yeah. That, to me, is interesting. Like, you know, if you have, you know, and you're out there, maybe you're in a relationship, think about your overall health as a person. I'm talking about your physical health, your mental health, your financial health, like kind of just how you, uh, you know, people always think about health. They think about nutrition and fitness. But there's just some other things like, you know, just how you handle arguments, how you handle disagreements, how you carry yourself, how you, you know, like the overall health of your household is only going to be as healthy as the people in it. Like, well, I think you know, I think that message applies to people who are single as well, who are like wondering maybe they're looking for a partner and they haven't found that person right. and they have like a series of relationships that didn't work out. Like it is worth examining, like what's going on there? What is the pattern? You know, what? am I a whole person? I'll take it one further. I apply, I often, will, I think the same rules apply to sports franchises. Mm-hmm. The franchise can only be as healthy as the key individuals, mm-hmm. okay? Ownership, general manager, head coach, star player. How much health do you have in, uh, in those tentpole areas? And I'll tell you how good your franchise is. And if you apply that right now, the, you know, name a team, the Blazers, okay? They have uh, a wannabe owner in Jody Allen. They have a relatively inexperienced head coach in Chauncey Billups. They've got a first-time general manager in Joe Cronin, and they have a really good superstar player in Damian Lillard. That is wobbly to me. Mm-hmm. That you know, there's it's wobbly. I think you if you have three of those four area, three of those four tent poles are kind of shaky. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the overall health of any franchise, any business, any relationship, any household. It's all the same stuff. It's not complex. Yeah. I think it's themes. pretty simple. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. So I posted uh, a photograph of Anna and I on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Wishing Anna a happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Anna. Thank you again. Uh, and, you know, the, 
a lot of people are nice. People are commenting, oh, I love when she's on the show. Oh, you know, what a great picture, whatever. But how come people always say, man, you really outkicked your coverage? <laughs> I mean, I know that, but they're kind of putting me down. Are they not while they're elevating you? Oh, they're just making a little sports reference. Does anybody ever post on yours, man, Anna, you outkicked your coverage? It's not something women say to women. I agree with John. I've never heard um, like someone tell a woman that they've outkicked their coverage. Yep. Why not? That would be insulting to the woman. Yeah. But, but... isn't it insulting to the <laughs> man? Yeah. Damn yeah. right. Y'all can take it. It's a slap. <laughs> Basically, every Valentine's Day, it becomes an annual tradition where thousands of uh, Facebook and Instagram followers insult me. And tell me that I have outkicked my coverage. So there it is. Love that. I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, thanks, I guess. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, people want to talk about a variety of things. Let's start with Mike in Portland. He wants to talk about Eric Bieniemy, who has interviewed for 12 NFL jobs and has yet to get a head coaching job. Mike in Portland here. What's on your mind? Hey, John. Here's, I think I figured this thing out. Okay. is that uh, Bimini works for a great coach. He has a good job. He's well compensated. It's a good organization. Yeah. I think he's just laying low. Reed's got maybe one, two more years to retire. He'll slip right in. The fix is in. And I think he's just waiting on, uh, and why wouldn't you want to be the coach of Kansas City instead of goofing around in Denver and Houston and all these mm -hmm. other places? I think okay. that's the idea. Okay, but if that's the case, I want to hear Bienemy say, hey, I've had opportunities, and I've told people in interviews I'm not interested. Mike's got a great point. Like, why would Eric Bienemy want to leave that situation? He could end up like, uh, you know, like when uh, Bruce Arians stepped down in Tampa and went to the front office. You know, there was a promotion that happened there. He'd be in line to be the next head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. Is that it, or is there something else going on? Uh, let's go uh, to the Bay Area, where Turk in San Jose, California, is called in. Turk, what's on your mind? Johnny Ballgame, how you doing? Long time I'm doing no well. Hey, uh, first off, before I get to my point, why is it that you outran your cover, your, your kick coverage? Maybe she just called a fair cat. Why can't we look at it that way? Why does anybody need to say that? It's a slap. Why can't you know what I would appreciate? Just hey, you know, if you want to comment, just be like, oh wow, Anna's beautiful. Why do you have to put me down in the in the process of doing they that? They figure you can take it. <laughs> That's why. Well, she is beautiful, but however, can I correct her on one thing? She said her favorite holiday is Valentine's Day. It's not a holiday. You still have to work that day. <laughs> You're, damn right. You're damn right. You're damn right. Holiday for who? Point. Yes. Name, image, likeness. I get it on the college level, right? Now these college kids could get money through sponsorships from restaurants, colleges, dealerships, and whatnot, right? Why not yep. go for more money? But now you're hearing a high school kids want NIL. Is there any video game out there with high school kids playing that you could even, does anyone in your audience even know of that existing? No, but we have a case I've, here in the state of Oregon. There are two high school athletes that have NIL deals. That's crazy. You want to know how you can correct this? And there may be copyright infringements, but I'm just throwing this out there. It might sound silly, but think about it afterwards. Instead of making it look like the players, one team looks like the Grinch. The other team looks like Santa Claus. Boom, you're done. <laughs> you're talking about Unless the video guy games. up in Buffalo with a gray beard goes, well, that looks like me. All right, give him 50000 and tell him to keep his mouth shut. 
<laughs> Turk, you're onto it. Turk's gonna solve nil. Yeah. That's he's creative. talking about. He's only talking about video games, though, which is a which is how this all started. If you go back to you know, peop, the former college players going, hey, they're using our likeness mm-hmm. on these EA Sports video games or Madden or whatever it was, and then they went, well, maybe they should be getting compensated. No, they shouldn't. Well, we're gonna file a lawsuit. Um, I get what he's saying here, but I also think um, I'm okay with players being able to uh, earn an endorsement. I'm okay with college football and basketball players, uh, gymnasts, uh, track and field athletes being able to uh, you know, sign with a company that wants them to endorse their product. I get uncomfortable when we all know the slippery slope turns into booster groups just throwing money together and going, hey, we're going to pay for this guy because he's a hell of a player to come to our school. There's no... Um, there's no uh, it's not an employment it's not a endorsement it's an inducement at that point hmm. and under the current rules yeah that's not yet okay it's not supposed to be okay but we all know it's happening and it's off the rails for crying out loud and it's why i don't think the ncaa can get it back on the rails and i think the answer is going to be yeah you know, and it's complicated because the supreme court when the Supreme Court ruled against the NCAA, I'll save you the time. Don't go read the Supreme Court brief that was filed with this, okay? <laughs> You're talking about hours of your life you will not get back. I'll just summarize it. The Supreme Court performed a touchdown celebration dance and pointed at the uh, NCAA and said, don't come back. Like, we, we don't want you to come back. We believe that athletes should be able to earn just like any other free citizen in the country and do not end up back in front of the court because it will end up bad for you, NCAA. So the NCAA, I think, is fearful right now of pushing back at all against players, against their right to earn. I think the fear that the NCAA has is that uh, the court will eventually rule that athletes are employees, that they're not student athletes they're employees of the university and then it becomes costly for the ncaa and its members Hmm. so i think what they really want is they want congressional intervention and some laws on the books that say here's what you can and can't do when it comes to giving an athlete an nil deal you cannot give them a deal before they've enrolled in school you cannot give them a deal just to come to your school it actually has to be an endorsement, and here's what the definition of an endorsement is. Because then, if people break the rules, you can say, hey, um, you know, there's a task force that is uh, assigned to this nationally that can go investigate these things, that has subpoena power, and can put some people in jail if they break the rules. Because the NCAA can't do any of that. Okay, maybe I'm dumb here, but... Uh, schools can offer athletes scholarships well yes. before they get to the collegiate level. Like if there's a freshman or a sophomore athlete that is showing a lot of promise, they can just go ahead and say, hey, you know, we're really interested in you. Here's a scholarship that we could give you if you came to our school. Yeah. That's official and through the school, and that makes it okay. That's okay. But the problem I have is when there's a lump sum of money, a million dollars, it's going to go to a quarterback who's a high school player, and, you know, you now have a bid. You have free agency. It's not, 
hey, here's our school. Here are the selling points of our school. By the way, if you come to our school, you're not going to have to pay tuition. Um, I think that's okay. I think it's okay to sell yourself to a student athlete. What I don't think it's okay is to buy a student athlete. And that's what's happening. And we all know it's happening. And I think it's going to be a really eye-opening three to five years as we watch those who have money to spend go and spend it. And those who don't disappear from the face of college football altogether. Leave it right here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Telling you, sifting through all the comments on Instagram, at John Canzano on Instagram, if you want to uh, uh, see that. Facebook. Facebook is, is generally the biggest offender. I got uh, at least four people among those comments that I just saw during the commercial break who said, you outkicked your coverage. They I mean, don't even know what that means, really. They, they, uh, it's a football Well, I get metaphor. that it's football, but like, what is... You know, when you are punting the ball in football, yeah. you would punt the ball, but you, if the punter kicked it way too far, mm -hmm. the other team's going to get a good punt return because they outkicked their coverage. But the metaphor is just, hey, you've, you're playing above your head, I think is what they're trying to say. Stephen, am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, that sounds right to me. Uh, I still have a problem with it. and uh, <laughs> so, I, lo I love that you have a problem with it. Go ahead. What is your problem with it? So we've been talking about this, and the entire time during all these phone calls, I couldn't focus on the phone call. I'm thinking about, like, outkick your coverage. Like, not only is it a shot at you, John, they're saying you're not good looking, but it's also a shot at Anna because it's like they're saying you could do much better, right? Like, <laughs> like they're saying Anna's mm. attractive and you could do better, right? It's It's <laughs> – it's like Seinfeld when George says to the those that couple, he says, boy, you could do better. And then they break up because they realize, well, yeah. maybe I could do better, right? Like, I feel like it's a shot at both of you guys. It's or interesting. Am I, am I off on this? Interesting spin there. Anna, uh, basically people are telling you. I could do better. You could do better. You so underachieved. <laughs> yeah, like you are settling. You're settling right now, Anna. You can, you can reach for way more. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> it's a slap. And why did nobody ever says that to a dude? You know? Hey, I, I've seen some couples where I look and I go, huh, that doesn't really fit. You mean nobody says it to a woman? Yeah. Right. Or nobody says it about a dude is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like nobody says to the woman, hey, uh, you outkicked your coverage. Yeah, because the woman would scratch their eyes out. You know? <laughs> but haven't we all seen, haven't you ever seen a couple that didn't make sense? All the time. You know, <laughs> and then you look at it and you just at face value, yeah, yeah. you go, you know, there's there's probably a, a person who's smarter in each relationship. Oh there's probably a person who's better looking in each relationship. You know, they, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So, you mm -hmm. know, maybe I just have hidden talents. <laughs> Yes. That's all I'm going to say. That's, it. Okay? That's, that's the thing. Relationships aren't all just built on looks, right? Like, you know. Oh, no. Some people have great oh, personalities. Oh, ours is. Ours is totally. Yeah. Ours is very superficial. 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually think that the the uh, the class of people that have it harder, I think, than anybody else is are the celebrity couples that have to deal with dating. Like, they can't date in private. They can't just poke around. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Athletes, entertainers, celebrities, because their their business gets put out for the public. There's paparazzi everywhere. Like, you know yeah, what I, I mean? I don't feel sorry for them. That's I'm, the life they chose. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it can't be easy. You know? What's wacky is when you see people that are together only because they're benefiting each other's sort of profile. Yeah. Like, that's weird I to think me. Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson falls into that category. Well, anyone with yeah. Pete Davidson falls into that the, category. The but... Kardashians in, in fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. Falls into that category. Yeah, the marketing right. team that decides yeah. the next Kardashian mate. Everybody's all about the comedians now. The comedians are having, it's their time. Well, you, you have heard the rumor there is a Kardashian linked to the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. What? Really? Who? What's I the think, rumor? Which, I think it's what? Kendall. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Kendall Jenner. Kendall Jenner, yeah, okay. is uh, linked to dating a blazer. It's an unknown blazer, but uh, I know who it is. My sources have told me uh, Jeremy Grant. Yep. Interesting. I thought she was dating a different basketball player. Well, now she's in Portland. Yeah, well, she was. Da- who was she dating before? I knew this. Devin Booker. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's, yeah, yeah. Frankly, Booker. she's rolled through a few of them, hasn't she? Wasn't she dating Ben Simmons at one point too? Blake that- Griffin. Oh, I didn't yeah. know Ben Simmons. I think Blake Griffin was involved in that as well. Yeah. yeah so Devin Booker and Kendall Jenner are over. So there you go. She's really into the basketball players. Yeah, What's well, that about? It's um, it's you know they're but it was like uh, Chris Humphreys and Lamar Odom. You know, I think it's it's more about celebrity than anything else. And yeah, but you can find celebrity in so many different ways. I, they're having success. Like you usually don't just pick an industry. They're having and stick success. With it. Like, like you know, who do you date? Oh, I only date IT guys. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> you know, well, maybe only IT guys. They'll get there eventually. Can you? That would be the equivalent. Don't you think the Kardashians will eventually get there? They'll get to the IT guys, then they'll go, you know. I only date car salesmen. Uber drivers, then they'll get to food trucks, the real, operators. The real question is, who outkicked the coverage, <laughs> Jeremy Grant or Kendall Jenner? <laughs> I think uh, Jeremy Grant outkicked the coverage. <laughs> I do, too. Jeremy because Grant, good-looking fella. You, you know, no, but I, you can't say it to a woman. You can't say to a woman, you outkicked your coverage. Bob's in Milwaukee. Bob happens to be... One of the guys on Facebook who wrote, you outkicked your coverage. <laughs> He's joining us now. Bob, thank you for posting. And he hung up. Uh-oh. Just like that. <laughs> I so wanted to I hear. I really wanted to hear from what Bob. Bob. Come on, yeah, you Bob. did. I want to hear what Bob meant by that. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think people mean it as an insult. Because I think what they're trying to say is you got to catch. And I know that. So wait, okay. they think maybe she was dating Anthony Simons, but You're... we for sure know that it's Jeremy Grant. No, Look, we don't know for sure. Just I've heard sources that it's either one of the two, but Jeremy Grant more like more possible. I'm on maybe one Peter, of these... Peter, do you have more on that? Uh, it's not Simons. It's Jeremy Grant. I'm on one of these websites that says it's uh, it's rumored that it's Jeremy Grant. So there you go, alleged relationship. So we're we gonna see her at the Moda Center. Uh, let's not get out of hand. Okay. Well, I mean, Will Ferrell was just there. He was. Who's he dating? I remember when uh, when Tony <laughs> Parker was playing. Jody Allen. That the uh, Spurs would be in town and Eva Longoria would show up at Moda Center. Remember that? That was kind of a big deal. Wait, who? Wait, Eva Longoria was dating who? Tony Parker. They were married. I thought she was. Okay. They were? Yeah. I, I missed that. I, I, well, I, maybe, I don't that. know if they were married or not, but they were in a relationship. Bob's in Milwaukee. Bob. Oh, he called Bob's back. Bob's called back. Thank you, Bob, for calling back. Yeah, I pulled over, un- unplugged my phone from the car. No distractions. Had to get through this time. Dropped twice. So. 
But, John, what I mean is you are very blessed. Thank you. In having Anna as your wife. Thank you. That is you out kicking your coverage. Yeah, I get it. And I don't take it as a uh, as a negative. But I love that people do it every year. And I go, I think they're telling me that she's above me. <laughs> but I get what Bob's saying. I think you are, too. Thanks, Bob. I think you are, too, Anna. <sighs> Thank you. I must be very organized. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, happy thank or happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm so flustered. Happy, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Thanksgiving, Bob. Happy Valentine's Day. Gobble gobble. <laughs> I love it. Happy New Year. I was gonna say thank you for the call. Oh. And I went I blended my uh, blended my things. Hey, this is why you come to the show, oh. folks. You never know what's going to happen. I'll kick your coverage and live to talk about it. Leave it here. The 5 at 5 is next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Camp Exceptional is the summer camp for typical kids and special needs kids. It is an inclusive sports summer camp. It will be happening this summer, July 24th through the 28th. If you'd like to get your child, age 5 to 15, or your grandchild, age 5 to 15, sign up for the camp. There are limited spaces available right now in the camp. You can go to baldfacetruth.org to grab one of those slots. I got a text from Nick Aliotti. One sentence, Anna. You outkicked your coverage. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. I don't mind that. I'll take it as a compliment because Steven's right. If I outkicked my coverage, they're just saying, hey, good for you. You overachieved. So it's kind of a, it's while it's an insult to me, it's also a compliment. You know what I mean? It's just how you look at it. It's like it's like somebody telling a coach, "You really outcoach the other team." What they're what they're doing is they're insulting the players. They're saying you don't have good enough players, but you outcoached the other team. I outcoached the other teams. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, right. In the game of life. In the game of life, I'm like Andy Reid in the second half of the Super Bowl. <laughs> Running misdirection, little play action, a lot of motion, different formations. I'm just scheming people open. You didn't panic at halftime? You gave yourself a motivational speech. You're good. Did not panic. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, we're going to do the 5 at 5. Yesterday in the 5 at 5, it was controversial, Anna. We, uh, we I'm going to say we. It was mostly you, but you picked the stories. <laughs> You talked about the ice fishing story. Yes. It was a really sad story. It is. The way that you introduced it, you said, oh, ice fishing in Minnesota has been canceled. It, we started joking about it, and it turns out some people died right. ice fishing. Right. So um, caller Bob called in yesterday, said, hey, I think it was poor form. Bob was right. We shouldn't have been laughing about somebody dying ice fishing. He's right. 
It launched a whole other discussion, though, about dangerous sports. Because we always hear people say, like, if a skier dies or one of these cliff divers, you know, base jumpers dies, mm -hmm. or somebody who, like, the free solo guy, let's say he has a horrible accident, knock on wood, hope he doesn't, but let's say he does, what will all invariably be said is this person died doing what they love to do, right? Mm -hmm. And that probably goes for the ice fishers too. I'm sure that the families are going, hey, these guys, it was a terrible accident. They died doing what they love to do. Like that is presented as a consolation mm -hmm. to the death, right? Yeah. Frames the death. Hey, it's not all tragedy. They died doing what they love to do. I'm kind of thinking, though, like when it comes to those cases, we sometimes will look at what that person was doing and we'll go, that's ridiculous. You should not have been base jumping. You should not have been climbing the face of El Capitan without harnesses. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's that's not wise to do those things. Do, is it fair? Is it poor form to criticize people who have died doing what they love to do? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't criticize them, but I think that I. I think it's fair to say like that's not something I would do, like you know. But we do a lot of things that are sort of unnecessary in the effort to recreate, right? Like you could feasibly argue that going up to Mount Hood, right, and going skiing or snowboarding, We've had this and you fall into a tree well and die, like that's you know, you could call that unwise, but you it's and I have had that very conversation. Something that many of us love to do. You know? I have told you there are certain things that I'm just not interested in doing. I don't understand the risk, and the the upside is not there, and there's tremendous downside. Bungee jumping. <laughs> What's the upside? Little thrill, eight second thrill. Woo! I'm falling. Oh no, I'm not. Right? What's the downside? That you're involved with a company that is negligent and you're you're bungee jumping with bad equipment. Yeah. Okay. There's there's tremendous downside there. Yeah. It, and so to me that has never made sense to me. <laughs> I, I and I like people will say, you know, one time the X Games when the X Games first came out, one of the things they did to market the X Games is they said, hey, we want to take media members and we'll have you skydive as part of. Well, you're going to do a tandem jump. Oof. This was the very like the onset of the X Games back in the day. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then, like, the Blue Angels will say, hey, come up and go fly with us. We'll put you in a cockpit. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Why would I do that? That's a, that. There's tremendous downside there. What, for what? A thrill? <laughs> I don't get it. Let's do the five at five. Five biggest stories as Anna sees it. The five at five. Number one, Anna, go ahead. Well, uh, definitely a sad situation at Michigan State, which is canceling, <sighs> uh, you know, all on-campus activities after on-campus shootings last night uh, resulted in three confirmed fatalities and multiple other people wounded. Uh, Michigan State has canceled all activities for the next two days, including the men's basketball team's home game against Minnesota. No further details uh, on when or if that would be rescheduled. There was an alert that went out shortly after 8.30. Campus police reporting shots fired, incident occurring uh, near campus. People secured in place. That secure in place was lifted at, after midnight. 
but the suspect in this shooting was located off campus and appeared to have died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, according to police. Yeah, the, the shooter identified as Anthony McRae. This is the part that gets me really frustrated. Uh, he had been charged with multiple gun-related crimes in the last few years. He had suffered uh, with a history of mental uh, issues, uh, mental el- his history of mental health issues. He had made threats against two other schools. Um, his neighbors. It, this wasn't a case where the cameras showed up and then the neighbors said, "Oh, he was a great guy. We don't know what went wrong." That's not what they said. They described him as a hellraiser who practiced target shooting out his back door. And, you know, basically, there were some warning signs here, including officers three years ago encountering him, and he was carrying a magazine and a gun and did not have a permit. Uh, This is really uh, sad, alarming, disappointing on a number of fronts. Number two in the five at five. Um. This is an odd one and also sad. Belgian goalkeeper Arnie Espiel, just 25 years old, died on the field over the weekend just moments after a saving penalty kick during a game. So Arnie Espiel, uh, his team was leading uh, early in the second half when the other team was awarded a penalty kick. He made the save but then fell to the ground right after recording the stop. The match was immediately stopped. Emergency personnel used a defibrillator on him. He was taken to a hospital, eventually pronounced dead. Um, just so terribly kind sad. Kind of just a DeMar 25... Hamlin yes. ch- yeah. blow to the chest as he dove. Uh, Autopsy is supposed to happen uh, this week. It's supposed to happen Monday, but I haven't heard anything. This is really sad. And, you know, obviously I love that they had a defibrillator there. All schools should have that. High schools should have it. Elementary schools should have it. Like, you know, I'm glad it was there. Sad that they couldn't save him. Anna, the trend here is not good. Number three, go. Let's pick it up a little. So Blockbuster Video, this has a local tie because, as many of us know, the very last Blockbuster location is where? Bend. Bend, Oregon. So they ran an ad on Super Bowl Sunday. It wasn't on the broadcast, but it was released via social media. And it resulted in a massive spike in sales. So they saw twice the number of online merchandise orders than all of last week combined. Uh, It's really interesting. They decided to run this ad. And and so they're selling things like uh, trucker hats and sweatpants. Good for them. You know, this is a location in Bend where customers can still rent DVDs like the old days. Uh, I I like it. I find there's charm in that. Yeah. And I think if you look at vacation rental areas, they may have more success here. You're not gonna you're not gonna beat Netflix streaming, or Amazon Prime streaming, or Apple TV streaming. But I think there's some charm in having the video stores in kind of beach towns. Resort towns, you know, a lot of places where there's Airbnbs and Verbos or whatever they are, and you know, they're onto something here. And and there's a novelty to the Blockbuster brand that good for them for seizing on it. There's a business there. Number four, way to way to rebound there. Uh, so CBS Sports released a graphic today that I thought was fascinating. 
the top 30 all-time most watched television broadcasts in the United States, 29 of them are football. <laughs> so, and and they're all like Super Bowl games. Like the most watched TV broadcast of all time was the Super Bowl in 2015. And there's only one out of those 30 that is a non-Super Bowl broadcast, and it's the finale of MASH back in 1983. Live sports programming alive and well is what you're saying. Big games, big audiences. But football. Football in particular. Dominating. Number five in the five at five, five biggest stories that Anna sees on planet Earth. What is the fifth story? Uh, the NBA could require a minimum number of games played for their big awards at the end of the season. Hmm. The new collective bargaining agreement between the NBA uh, and the Players Association could contain language requiring award winners to have played a minimum number of games. So it's this idea that they would connect awards to appearances, and this has become a topic of conversation um, because of all of the star players that are increasingly taking rest days and specifically mentioned in this article is Kawhi Leonard leading the Raptors to an NBA title in 2019 after only playing 60 games in the regular season. Yeah, so you need, uh, by the way, just three of the top 10 finishers in last year's MVP voting played more than 70 games. So this is a uh, pushback against load management and also uh, just trying to set some standards. I, I, I'm okay with this. I like this. Steven, you all right with this? Yeah, I'm okay with it. Minimum number of games. Yeah. I, I think, and, but, and I think it's because for me right now, like, with a young son, like, we went to the Blazers-Lakers game, and then LeBron missed, like, the next game. And it's like, man, he would have been so disappointed, like, had he missed that game. And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it to him, but, like, it is what it is, but th there needs to be some type of rule. There it is, the five at five. Uh, coming up next, uh, Portland State had a miraculous, not even last second, last tenths of a second, game-winning shot. The shot heard round the world. Chase Coburn drew up the play, Portland State's coach. He's going to join us next. Did you see the shot, Anna? Uh, yeah. Did you see that? Incredible. Four tenths of a second? Incredible. Uh, Portland State doing some good, good things on the basketball court. We'll talk about it with Chase Coburn, the coach, next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. State shocked Northern Arizona on Saturday, 88-87. Maybe you saw the shot, meaning, uh, you know, full length of the court pass, four-tenths of a second left, and a game-winning shot. I, I got to know what that was like to be part of. Is this something they practiced? Clearly looked like it. Jace Coburn is the head basketball coach at Portland State University. He's joining us now. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, really, really dramatic and exciting on Saturday night as that went viral on social media. But take us through that moment. You're down 87, 86. Uh, you got four-tenths of a second. What are you guys thinking? 
Well, I, honestly, when the shot went in and the, uh, the buzzer went off, uh, when the shot went in for NAU and the buzzer went off, uh, you know, we thought that the game was over. I thought maybe there's a little bit of time left. So we kind of huddled real quick and tried to get a play out there. And uh, we went out there and lined up. I saw a couple things um, in our team, and then I saw a couple things that NAU did. So I decided to take a timeout. And uh, we talked about refocusing, and the game wasn't over, and don't give up, and um, you know, let them know that we've got a really good play, and, and I think it's really going to work, and we're going to get a shot off. Um, at the time, I, I didn't know if we were going to make it or not, but I, based on some things I saw that happened on the floor when we went out there to line up, I knew we were going to get a shot at it. So, um, and I guess the rest is history. But you get a great inbounds pass. Is this something you practiced? Yeah, so uh, we came back from Christmas break, and uh, we had uh, one, one thing we do is we practice late game situations like that, and we try and come up with every every sort of scenario that could possibly happen. So uh, we came back from Christmas break and tried out some quarterbacks, I should say, uh, you know, some baseball passes, and and uh, Hunter Woods was our guy, and uh, we practiced the play um, then, and we actually scored it in practice with the other team not knowing. So we're actually two for two on that play. Um, and we, we knew Hunter could really throw it. And so uh, one thing I tried to do is I tried to roll him out there like he was a left-handed quarterback, like he was Tua or Steve Young or something, or, you know, Michael Vick or whoever. And uh, so we rolled him out, and uh, he just launched that thing. Yeah, we're talking to Jace Coburn, Portland State men's basketball coach. Look, look at a game like that, win like that, you know, you, you're on the road. It's always good to win on the road. What can that do for the rest of your season? you got five games left in the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it gives confidence to our guys. I mean, specifically just having the attitude of never giving up. Um, when things looked really bad at the time in a basketball game, um, our guys didn't give up, and we just need to ride that wave for the rest of the season, um, carry us into the conference tournament, and hopefully further than that. So, um, you know, we've got a really resilient group um, that comes to battle every single night, and, you know, whether we're up or down or lose a lead or, or come back, like, I know at the end of the day our guys are going to respond and they're mentally tough and, and uh, you know, we'll be ready for anything. Yeah, you, look, this year has been a little bit up and down for you guys, but uh, I think there's a chance here. you got a couple of home games coming up this week, Thursday, Saturday, Idaho State, Weber State. What, do we, what would it mean to see uh, a great turnout Thursday night and, and Saturday for you guys? That'd be awesome. I mean, you know, Thursday night, I know we're doing a promotion here at Portland State, uh, $4 tickets for the uh, .4 seconds that we scored in. So, um, you know, obviously $4 is a very affordable price. We'd, we'd love to see everybody come out and support this team. They've been working really hard and playing really hard. And uh, we've got a lot of really good um, guys on our team, not only basketball-wise, but as people. Um, I, you know, I can't say enough about our team and how much I've enjoyed coaching them. Um, and then Saturday night, we got Strict City Night, which is going to be an awesome event for uh, our basketball program and our school. Yeah, Deontay Strickland, people uh, may remember, uh, tragically shot and killed at his grandmother's house. Uh, really bad situation. You guys have turned that into an annual opportunity to celebrate him, what he meant to the team. Um, you know, uh, speak to that a little bit. You know, what, what Deontay? what he meant to the team, what Strickland meant to the team, and, and kind of why you do this. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously uh, Strick meant a lot to our, not only our basketball team, but our athletic department and our school. 
Um, you know, and, and even further than that, he meant a lot to the city of Portland. He was very involved in the basketball community and in the city of Portland and the state of Oregon. Um, you know, we would go out recruiting some nights and randomly just see him at a game, um, you know, supporting, you know, other high school players. And, um, you know, we miss him every day. I think about him every single day. Um, I know his mother, Teresa, will be at the game on Saturday, so we're excited to have her back in the building. And um, it's, it's, it's a really big uh, event for our for our team, you know, and I, like I said, for the city too, um, but for our team because one thing as a head coach I want to do is make sure that his legacy lives on forever. And, um, you know, and like I said, I miss him every single day, and uh, I can't wait to celebrate him on Saturday. Saturday celebration, it'll be Strick City night to remember uh, Deontay Strickland's legacy in Portland. His family will be there. Uh, they come every year, and uh, it's a big event. Uh, also, for Thursday's game, $4 tickets to commemorate the 0.4 seconds left on the game-winning shot. Uh, and Cameron Parker is the Big Sky Conference Player of the Week. Uh, kinda, you guys got some momentum heading into this into this final stretch. We got a lot going on right now, and it's and we love it that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cameron Parker's been really good for us all, all year long. Um, he's a Portland kid, and, uh, you know, yeah, he's won back-to-back Player of the Week, um, you know, and uh, – you know, he's, he can score it and he can pass it, and uh, he really competes, and he's got a great, tremendous spirit about him, and, and uh, we love him, and I and, uh, think he's done a really good job for our team, and, and uh, coming down this back stretch, we're, we're hoping for even bigger things for him. Give us an idea. Football saw, the, you know, a great recruiting class, and Bruce Barnum came on the show, and he said, look, we're getting some high school kids that normally would have been, you know, uh, fringe kids that would have gone to the Pac-12, but they're picking the big sky now because there are so many players in the portal, the scholarships just don't, not as many high school kids getting scholarships. Are you seeing that yet in men's basketball? Yeah, for sure. I think I think it's not only the portal, but I, th- I think it's also um, a lot of guys are having their, their COVID year, so there's just not as many scholarships uh, available. Um, you know, because back in the day, everybody just had four years to play, and now uh, a lot of guys have five years to play. So, uh, the, the number of scholarships just aren't a, is available. So, um, like in our league, in our conference, every team is really good. Um, you know, and I, this is my 10th year in the big sky, and, and I can't remember a year top to bottom where uh, our league has been this talented and this good. And every single team has got really good players. So, um, yeah, the, the talent level across the board has really picked up. I think, I think it's just a lot to do with, uh, you know, more guys wanting to play, um, you know, and, and less scholarships available. Give me an idea of, you know, you win this game the other night, last second shot. Uh, what the handshake line is with the other team after a, uh, a defeat like that? Because you're you're exuberant, you're excited. Obviously, this is a big moment for your program. But you also, you know, you've been on the other side of a, a tough loss like that. Not quite that way, but you've seen tough losses. What do you say to the other coach after that one? You know, I, I just told them that that was a heck of a game. Um, you know, I mean, both teams battled the whole entire game. Um, it was back and forth. And, and uh, you know, I can only imagine the heartbreak that goes, you know, for them making that shot that they made, thinking they won it, storming the court. And, and then, you know, literally 0.4 seconds later, uh, comes crashing down on them. So, you know, they're a really good team, and they're, they're very resilient themselves. Um, you know, they do a good job. And, 
you know, I, an example of great sportsmanship was Jarrell Satterfield. You know, if you watch the celebration, uh, one of the NAU players kind of goes down a little bit when our guys are, are t- trying to go over to Isaiah Johnson, and, and uh, Jarrell noticed it and helped pick him up and, you know, uh, was talking to him the whole rest of the way, um, you know, back to their bench. So, you know, I, I, we obviously know that that's basketball and that sport. Sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, you know, I think the sportsmanship level of it's huge. We're talking to Jace Coburn, Portland State men's basketball coach. They've got games this week at the Viking Pavilion Thursday and Saturday. $4 tickets on Thursday, Saturday, Deontay Strickland night, uh, Strick City night, to uh, recognize and remember his contributions to basketball. Uh, Before I cut you loose, look, um, Big Sky Tournament looming on the horizon. Right now, probably you're thinking about seeding position. How are you feeling as as you head toward you know, this last stretch, five regular season games, and then a conference tournament. Yeah, we know we, this is about the time where we need to play our best basketball. And traditionally, Portland State has always uh, finished down the back stretch really well. And so we just we know that we need to recreate that. Um, we know that, you know, a lot of this is on us and, and how we perform uh, as opposed to, you know, worrying about other teams. Um, we've been in every single game almost this, this uh, Big Sky Conference uh, year and you know we're we're looking forward to taking another step and gaining some momentum, especially coming off of how we just won, um, and riding the wave to the uh, next game and then just keep carrying it. So, um, but we're excited for the opportunity. I think our guys will tell you that nobody wants this to end, and I think that that is a huge part of uh, having success late in the year is that every single person doesn't want this to end. So we're going to do our best to keep it going. That's really interesting because you look back and there are probably some seasons. Uh, in different places, different programs this year that that aren't doing well, and kids are looking, going, all right, five more, and then I'm out of here. Um, what mm-hmm. do you know now? This is your second full season in charge at Portland State. What do you know now that you didn't know when you took the job? Uh, wow. Um, I'd say that. Uh, I'd say, man, um, how how much I care and love our players. Um, you know, when you're an assistant coach, you care and love them, um, you know, in, in a different way. But there's just a different relationship when you become the head coach, um, you know. And, and I hope our guys know that and understand how much I care for them as people. I, like I said earlier, I, I can't say enough about the great character that our players have and how tough they are and how resilient they are. And I'm just very proud to be their coach. And, and uh, you know, I, I hope the city is proud of them, too, because, you know, they keep bouncing back every single night. And uh, they're a fun group to coach. They're a fun group to, to get attached to. Um, you know, and, and just like I said about the guys, I don't want this to ever end either. You know, so um, I, I'd say that. You're having fun out there. It's evident uh, in the way you guys are playing. Good luck Thursday. Good luck Saturday. I hope you get good crowds at the Viking Pavilion. And, uh, by the way, it's Valentine's Day. What do you do on Valentine's Day? Uh, you know, are you a flowers guy? Did you get a card? What, what's Chase Coburn doing? Coach us up here. Well, yeah, I, it'll be a surprise. I'm not, I'm not home yet, but uh, it'll be a surprise. <laughs> and I did want to tell tell my wife, Lindsay, uh, happy Valentine's Day. And uh, if she didn't allow me to draw plays and leave them all over the house, who knows, maybe we don't win the other night. So um, I got basketball plays all over the house. So, uh, But I love her, and she's, she's the best wife and uh, best mom, too. So um yeah there'll be a surprise tonight we'll see there you go i love it hey coach thanks for making time for us thank you appreciate it all right there he is jace coburn not going to reveal his plans probably because his wife's listening to the show
Steven's got an update ahead. Plus, we got another half hour of great radio. Leave it right here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. You want any of the interviews on today's show, get a podcast. You can get a podcast of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show wherever you get a podcast. Does that make any sense? Get a podcast wherever you get a podcast. You know where to find podcasts. Uh, search for the Bald Face Truth. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You don't want to miss a thing. Uh, the seven wonders of the world. Stephen, the seven wonders of the world. I've people talk have talked about the Taj Mahal, the Colosseum, uh, the Great Wall of China. Uh, they've talked about the seven wonders of the world. I started thinking about the seven wonders of the sports world. If we were going to crown the seven wonders of the sports world, and maybe I should throw this out to the listeners listening to the show, what would you include the seven wonders of the sports world as Seven places that fall into, I guess, the category of being uh, special, unique, different, um, stadiums, uh, golf courses, um, seven wonders of the world. People will talk about the Grand Canyon. They'll talk about, um, you know, different venues, different, you know, the Great Wall of China, structures. But when we talk about sports, what are the seven wonders of our sports world? I've been thinking about this today, and I would throw, I would nominate places like Fenway Park. I would nominate maybe uh, stadiums like, you know, older stadiums. I would go to the L.A. Coliseum. Is it one of the seven wonders? I don't know. Discuss. Uh, is Ohio Stadium in Columbus, Ohio? One of the seven wonders of the sports world? Is Madison Square Garden one of the seven wonders? What are the seven wonders of the sports world? Or give me your nominations for the seven wonders of the sports world at 503-417-7575. That's the phone number. I want to go around the room too, Stephen and Peter. When we talk about the seven wonders of the sports world, uh, what are we talking about? What comes to mind when you talk about unique, epic uh, venues, locations, golf courses, stadiums, football stadiums, baseball stadiums, track, field. Do we have to go global? We can if you want to. But what would you nominate? My initial thought was uh, Wrigley Field, uh, just you know, being in the neighborhood of where it's at and the ivy on the on the baseball on the wall. Like I feel like that kind of represents you know baseball summertime. Um, I think that was one of my first thoughts. The other one I had was a newer stadium, and that's AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Jerry's mm-hmm. World. I think that is very important because you look at what that was built, how big of a you know how big of a crazy deal that was, and now basically all stadiums after that are basically trying to like model themselves after that one stadium. So I think that one has a lot of influence just on football stadiums in general. So those were the first two that came to my mind. I think Wrigley, for sure, just the history of baseball. Uh, where it's located, all that, I think Wrigley's got to be in there. I want our listeners to participate in this one. Tell me about the seven wonders of the world. What do you want to nominate? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Um, I don't want to leave the soccer crowd out. I think Wembley Stadium 
is special. Uh, Estadio Azteca uh, it gets a lot of run as being one of the best soccer stadiums in the world. Um, I, I think about golf courses. Augusta National, would we include Augusta National as one of the wonders? Would we, would we look and say, okay, um, you know, what about, what about uh, Boston and Fenway Park? What about Wrigley? What about in the college football world, what are those special places? Michigan Stadium, Ohio Stadium, you tell me, 503-417-7575. Alex is on I-5. Alex, help us out here. Seven wonders of the sports world. Hey, John. Um, well, when you're talking about these venues, it kind of reminds me of when you're talking about bucket list places, and it kind of, yep. uh, kind of we can just two same lists basically. So I'm thinking more like Wilt Chamberlain, hundred points, hmm. uh, Nicky Ward versus Arturo Gotti, uh, the ninth round. Just how are they able to achieve these things? And no one has, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's more of a of a feeling or maybe Bo Jackson's career, like what could that have been? Yeah, you're thinking Sanders. about big big moments. Yeah. Big moments, That's big what it accomplishments. Is for me, John. Yeah, I, I I don't I'm not gonna argue with that. I don't think there's a wrong answer. But I start to think about venues because I start to think about places that are very unique. Stadiums that are unique, uh golf courses that are unique, um you know, I I start thinking about uh, track and field. I start thinking of like, you know, would you include Wrigley Field? Would you include Fenway Park among the seven wonders of the world if you're nominating baseball stadiums? Would you include Wem Wembley Stadium if you're talking about soccer? When you're talking about golf, is it Pebble Beach? Is it Augusta National? What are what's in this conversation? Let's go to Kent, who's in Portland. Kent, I appreciate you making time. What's on your mind? Absolutely. I, I think number one for me has got to be Augusta. You talk about golf courses. As soon as you drive down Magnolia Lane, that place just is different. The concessions, you talk about sports moments, Tiger Woods on the 16th, having that ball hang right on the edge of the cup, just iconic. Yeah, I like that. I, I think the, go the golf ones for me were easier because I, I started thinking like, you know, it's, you know, people always do this, like, you know, you look at you can go to Ireland and you can talk about you know the Royal Golf Course there. You can go to you can go to Augusta and you you have that context there. Um, and I think golf courses are wonders. Like if you really think about it, like look at look at like some of the beauty and and, and how some of the architects of these golf courses and the designers of the courses uh, implement some of the natural geography uh, that is native to the area that you're in. Kevin's on I-5. Kevin, the seven wonders of the sports world. Uh, help us out. What do you if nominate? Talking, if you're talking about structures, Lambeau Field has to be up there. Ooh, I like it. I would think. And I like if it. you're not talking about structures, wonders of the world would be the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team and Bill Johnson winning the gold medal in the downhill skiing. Oh, if you're yeah. not talking about structures. Yeah, but Lake Placid. Yeah, you talk about Lake Placid in a 1980 Winter Olympics, um, and it's really interesting. I was in Athens for the Olympics in 2004, and the significance of Athens is like the original games, right? Well, you know, here we were in 2004, and they were going back to you know some of the original venues are you know crumbling, of course, but 
like just being in Athens, you got a chance to see how amazing it must have been. Like if you go back to the original Olympic Games and go, gosh, you know, here we here we are, um, you know, 1896. And we talk about the Summer Olympics of 1896 and some of those structures still being around. Uh, they're pretty wonderful. Harold's near Newburgh, and he's called in. Harold, what's on your mind? Well, John, I was going to uh, go with St. Andrews for golf. Mm, love it. And I'll keep it short and sweet. What What is it about St. Andrews that appeals to you? Oh, my God. It's just uh, the whole venue, the history behind it, uh, the great events that have transpired over the years. Um, just a fabulous f facility. Yeah, look, I think a lot of history there. And obviously, uh, you know, it's got some magic to it. Miriam is in Portland. I love it. Here comes Miriam with uh, one of the seven wonders. Miriam, what are we nominating? Well, I think Indianapolis 500 Motor Speedway should be on the list. Solid. If not, maybe, you know, Le Mans or, uh, I don't know, some of those major racetracks where sporting events have occurred. I think those would be great. Now, you're, get, you're getting me thinking now, Churchill Downs. Uh, for the Kentucky Derby, uh, Belmont Park. We'd certainly have to look at Churchill Downs as being one of the seven wonders. This is something we can continue uh, as uh, as this show. Uh, tomorrow on the show, maybe I will pick up uh, in the 3 o'clock hour talking about this. So if you're really into this, I'm going to think about this overnight, and I'm going to come up with a few different things that we could add to the list. Right now I've got about seven and that are solid, but I think we can do better. I think we can go beyond that and make this list even better. Uh, coming up, uh, some parting thoughts. Peter Sampson in the Pulse, top of the hour. Uh, you got the bald face truth statewide on this great Valentine's Day. I hope that uh, you're having a great day out there. But uh, we will have some parting thoughts, and I'm going to talk about someone who's on my mind next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Been a great show uh, today, and uh, obviously we will take you into top of the hour. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up next right here on 750 The Game. Peter does a great job with his show. I hope you uh, give it the attention that it deserves. It's Valentine's Day. We've talked about that throughout today's show. And if you are uh, uh, tuned into that, you have uh, done what Anna said, done something meaningful for the significant other in your life. Um, I did something that uh, I've never done before. I bought the daughters, the young daughters, uh, flowers for Valentine's Day. I wanted to get them flowers, not because it's a cliche and I'm trying to train them that Valentine's Day means you're getting flowers from someone, but also I just think there's there's limited time that you have as a dad to connect with your kids. And I've learned that, and I'm probably a better dad because of that, because of the 20-year-old who's now off in college, and I don't, don't get to see her, and I don't talk to her as much as maybe I'd like to anymore. And I text with her a little bit, and we had a conversation yesterday, but it's not like having uh, a kid underneath your roof every day that you can check in with. And you know what I mean if you've got kids that have grown up and gone off to college or gone on to do other things and they're adults now and 
and working. And, and, and I really do think, like, and I told my older daughter this, like, she's made me a better dad for the two younger sisters. But I wanted to uh, connect with them. And I thought it was really interesting when I brought the flowers home and I said, hey, these are for you guys. Uh, they both, their eyes danced. The six-year-old, her eyes got big. She was delighted. She smelled the flowers. The eight-year-old was just smitten. I think it's the first time in her life that uh, somebody has given her flowers, and she took the bouquet and the vase and put it in her room and positioned it on her dresser, and I just thought it was the cutest thing ever. Now, granted, uh, a day from now, I may go back and go, hey, I just wasted uh, you know, money, <laughs> throwing money at flowers on Valentine's Day for a six-year-old and eight-year-old, but I thought it was an opportunity for me to uh, connect with them in a way and maybe demonstrate to them, as Anna and I often talk about how important it is in your family of origin to kind of model for your kids, hey, uh, this is what you do in your own family, right? Where do you learn to be a dad or a mom if you're listening to the show? You're your own parents. And so I just thought it was one of those opportunities that I had to kind of connect with my kids. But I was in the grocery store and buying these flowers. No, I didn't go to a florist. I went to a grocery store, and I was buying these flowers, and the woman in front of me in line was also buying, uh, it looked like, chocolates for her kids. And the cashier looked at me, and I had three bouquets of flowers, and she said, three? Like, you know, what are you doing buying people? And I said, hey, I've got, I've got three daughters. And she said, oh, and they both kind of went, oh, that's so sweet. But I, that's not why I was doing it. Uh, I was doing it because I wanted to show two younger daughters uh, what it is to be a dad, what it is to be, uh, you know, what a dad, does, how a dad or how a parent, you know, treats their kids on a holiday like this. And, and, uh, I thought it was just an interesting little experiment to see their reaction to getting flowers and, and look, getting flowers on Valentine's day, it's not a unique thing. I don't know if, uh, parents out there, if you have traditions of your own, but I kind of feel like I started a tradition in our household. Like a couple Christmases ago, a few Christmases ago, I started a, a tradition on Christmas Eve. I bought each of the girls a book that I picked out for them special at the bookstore. And I inscribed inside the front page, hey, this is from Dad on Christmas Eve. And so now every Christmas Eve, I give them a book. Uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, tradition, I think, becomes important, becomes valuable in any family unit. Uh, if you are looking to read me, you can read me exclusively now. Uh, for those of you... Uh, you know that uh, I've gone rogue. I've gone out on my own. I have uh, gotten out from under. I'm no longer encumbered by people telling me what to write or telling me where to go. I'm, I'm doing it all myself. You can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. And I wrote a column. I talked about this during the show earlier, but I wrote a column about Robert Hatchett. He was the parking valet at the PacWest Center in downtown Portland for 31 years. He worked in the garage at Southwest Jefferson and Fifth Avenue, and he worked there on the main level. There's three levels to that parking garage. And he became someone that I saw on a daily basis. As I pulled my car into the parking garage, he was always there, as was his brown Chevrolet truck. Um, and this is a great example of the kind of column that I could only do today while you know, knowing that I'm working for myself, right? And really, I'm working for you as a reader. And I say that to readers all the time. Like, you're, you know, I'm my loyalty, my allegiance is to my readers, not to editors, not to sponsors. It's to my readers. So I'm in this relationship with you as a reader. And I wrote this column today about Robert, who at age 65 announced uh, in December of 2015 that he was retiring. He's retiring at the end of the year, he said. 
And I got to know Robert over the years by just casually chatting with him every day as I dropped the car off, parked the car, I'd walk by him, we'd talk for 60 seconds or 90 seconds, or sometimes that turned into five or 10 minutes. And, you know, I got to know things about him. I got to know that he served in the Navy. I got to know that his family was in Louisiana. I got to know that he met his wife, Dorothy, after, you know, uh, deciding he was going to live in Portland. He had pulled into port and uh, uh, on a ship and said, you know what, this is this would be a great place to live. And he meets the love of his life. Dorothy and you know he would go home to her every night at dinner time and and talk about his day and he had a, a son and then he had grandchildren and and I know in particular I met one of his grandkids one time because I gave Robert a pair of tickets to a Blazer Laker game it was 2013 season Blazers were like a 33 win team that year they lost like 49 games and uh, I remember Robert being very excited about getting these tickets to see the Lakers and the Blazers play now the Lakers won the game. Kobe scored 47. And, but Robert was there, and he brought his uh, first-grade grandson to that game. And I thought it was really cool to kind of see that experience through his eyes. And, you know, it, we often, I think, in media, will look at a season and we'll make some sweeping declarations about whether or not a season is worth a damn. Is it worth going? Is it worth seeing? Is this team any good? You know, so-and-so must go. The coach must go. The GM must go. Uh, we do those things in media, and we forget sometimes that a game sometimes is just a game, and within a game, uh, even a meaningless late-season game, so-called meaningless, there's often a gift. And I saw it that night, late in that season, when Robert was with his grandson because he was leaned in with his grandson. They were talking about the players warming up. They were talking about the stats. It was a grandfather and a grandson who were bonding over a game that a lot of us looked at at that time and went, this game isn't worth anything. This game doesn't mean anything. The Blazers are going nowhere. All of the stuff we say. But the truth was, that game was a gift. It was a gift to uh, a grandfather and a, and a first grader that that first grader, I'll bet you, never, ever will forget. Um, you know, I wrote about Robert today in part because it, the trade deadline just passed, in part because Valentine's Day is today, and in part because maybe I just want to remind myself that sometimes... When we look at a season like this Blazers season or this Oregon State basketball season or even the Oregon season or Pac-12 football season, we often will say things like, you know, oh, this season's a waste. Uh, it's not a waste when you've got moments like the moment that Robert shared with his grandson all those years ago happening inside the arena. It's not at all a waste. Um, you know, Robert did retire that December 31st. And uh, he had all these plans to go and travel and spend time with Dorothy and his family and take a trip back to Louisiana, and uh, he didn't make it. He died six weeks after retiring. Broke my heart. Broke my heart that my friend Robert passed away. Uh, but I think about that night and the lesson he left me with in taking a look at a basketball game through a different lens, through the lens of a diehard fan who is never going to give up on his team, and in fact... That game, that late-season game that meant nothing, really, it meant everything in the world to that grandpa and his grandson. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.